There's something curious about this broadcast. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. As I mentioned in the TGP Nominal Extra, we are really sorry that we haven't produced anything for July, but it was really hectic. But being as it's the maiden show, there's someone I've got to bring into the equation. Mr. Berger, are you there? Hello. How you doing? I'm here. <laughs> like that, is it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's dog days of summer, kids are getting ready to go back to school, all that stuff. Yeah, we've, we've got another three weeks before the kids go back. we got about two. A friend of mine out in California, his kids have already gone back to school. What is up with that? <laughs> Where I'm from, in Buckinghamshire, there's a place, where I've mentioned it to you before, called Milton Keynes, mm-hmm. and their school holidays work at a different time to the rest of Buckinghamshire even though it's in the same county. And we always say that Milton Keynes run on a different time zone to everybody else in Buckinghamshire, mainly because I used to work at a company where people used to come in from Milton Keynes every day to go to work there, uh, and they always used to be late. Um, So I used to say, there we go, they're working on Milton Keynes time again. (laughs) And that kind of works now, because if the, if all their holidays seem to be a, a week different to everybody else's, that, that explains their complete different time zone. <laughs> I I, I'm just used to, when I grew up, we had, school was always the first day after Labor Day. And Labor right. Day is the first Monday in September. So that was the unofficial end of summer, you know, because the day afterward, kids go back to school and so forth, move away, and now kids are starting a week ahead of Labor Day, two weeks ahead of Labor Day. It's like, what are you doing? Let the kids have their unofficial summer. Stop this. Is um summer camp still a big thing in the States? Yeah. My kids have no interest in it because they're too much like their dad, but yeah, summer camp's still big. Yeah, I can understand that. I get the feeling I probably wouldn't fit in to a lot of the uh, itinerary and things for uh, for a summer camp. <laughs> Adri, my um, old co-host, you, you know Adri because uh-huh. you've spoken to him a couple of times. He used to be a, a counsellor at uh, camps out towards your way a bit. Well, and I say that uh, off of um, Lake Michigan. Okay. Well, I mean, it is out my way when respective to England. Yeah. <laughs> they used to love him because, well, he had a British accent. Of course. So. <laughs> Nothing sounds finer to an American ear than a British accent. But he's always been that sporty kind of guy, so um, he fit in quite well. Yeah. I don't think I would have liked it at all. Uh, we, we don't really have that kind of thing here. Uh, we do have things what they call PGL holidays, which I'm not sure what PGL actually stands for, but it's a lot of um, outdoor kind of stuff. So there's a lot of like kayaking and canoeing and whitewater rafting and all that kind of stuff. Nothing what I would class as like a proper American summer camp. 
We just have our own way of doing things. Of course, we have lots of forests and lakes over here to do that, so mm -hmm. that's a different story. Yeah, well, well we kind of do over here, but you kind of have the weather there, too. We, it'd be like well, yeah, know, yeah. A, f a few weeks in the rain, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> well, as of late, it depending on where you are in the country, it can be pretty wet. For the past four years, we've been calling ourselves Pennsylvania. <laughs> And it's mildly annoying because for the past week, it's been sunny and dry and clear. And of course, tonight, the big night for the meteor shower, and it rains. So that's all gone. Thanks. Well, last night was good. Tonight is supposed to be pretty good. Tomorrow, however, forget it. <laughs> well, the good thing about these meteor showers is that they happen every year. Ross was on the uh, radio today talking about the meteor shower. Fireballs, shooting stars, apparently they could have all been out the window last night because the biggest meteor shower of the year peaked across beds, hearts and bucks in the early hours. Over 70 shooting stars an hour were expected during the Perseid shower. But did anything actually happen? Well, on the line is astronomer Ross Hockham from Milton Keynes. Hello, Ross, how are you? Hello, how are you doing? All right? I'm very good. Well, this all sounds very exciting. I mean, the way I was thinking, God, that sounds so good. I, I should have should have stayed up to try and see a bit of it. But actually, was it? Was it as good as it sounds? <laughs> well, it kind of depends where you are. Hopefully, there'll be no cloud because that obviously puts us yeah, on it. It's going to ruin it, isn't it? But uh, I'm not going to lie. My myself, I actually went out uh, that night. I did have work, so it was late. But I managed to go out and have a little look up. And I did see a few myself, yeah. As you said, they, they do predict you meant to see like 100 to 120 an hour, but that's never going to happen. That's like perfect conditions. Uh -huh. And we did have a moon up as well. So that kind of washes a few out. But yeah, 60 odd, 67 people have been reporting it. I mean, we've got a Facebook group, UK Astronomy. Sorry, that's that's my astronomy group. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they've been putting pictures on our Facebook group all over. So yes, it has happened and people are seeing them. So it's fantastic. Now, when I think of a shooting star, I'm thinking of something, you know, that I see quite vividly that fires across the sky. Or are we talking about tiny, tiny little movements there that you have to really look out for? Uh, depends. Generally not. Because the, uh, the Perseid meteor shower is actually, the Earth is actually moving through a dust cloud of what's left over from a comet. So what you're seeing is little bits of dust from this comet that's been left over. It's called a swift tuttle. And what's cool is as the Earth moves into it, this one's pretty good because it's quite low on the horizon at the beginning. So as we move into it, they actually do streak right across the top of the sky. So they go right over you. As the night goes on, the uh, Perseus, which is the constellation where they come from, actually rises up. So they do tend to then sort of not streak straight across. They almost come towards you. But yeah, you can see them literally streak right across the sky. If it's a slightly larger piece, it can actually pop sort of green and go through the sky popping and actually burn up and leave a trail. So it can happen. I've seen one myself. It's really fantastic. Would it ever, because I'm just thinking, you know, these giant meteors, I mean, there's no chance it could ever, one could land in my back garden and there's a big burnt hole in the lawn when you wake up. <laughs> Funnily enough, it has happened. No one's actually has been it? killed by one, so it's all right. But if okay. a larger piece does come through, it doesn't get burnt up completely, and a lump will actually land, and that's a meteorite. And once wow. it lands there, it has been known to actually go for a car. There was a guy in America, what? and it went through the rear of his car, and his car actually went up in value. They managed to sell it for three hundred thousand pounds, or dollars, should I say? Yeah, he paid three hundred for it. Um, I didn't. You know, I was kind of like, you know, semi-joking when I said that, but actually, I didn't realise there were so many cases of these things actually landing. I mean, what are the chances? I mean, how big? How big would they be? What are we talking? 
Oh, only a few, probably kilograms, maybe. So what's so like a size of a football or, or bigger uh, than that? I'd probably say more like a pebble. Oh, a pebble. Oh, right. your fist, something like that. Yeah, so they're not massive. I mean, the bits that make the streaks are only like dust particles. So you can't really even see them, but it's just the speed they're coming in. They're coming in at hundreds of thousands of miles an hour. So they really do burn up in the atmosphere. So if a pebble yeah. came in at that fast, you'd, you'd, want to, you'd want to miss it, wouldn't you? Technically, yeah. I'd, I'd hope so. Yeah, well, you would hope so. There's a lot of space on Earth at the moment, so I know population's getting bigger, but so far no one has been hurt. I know I did hear another story. There's someone, it bounced off their sofa, it went through their house, bounced off their sofa and hit them, but they were only bruised. So no one, no one's going to get hurt. That, that's uh, I mean, awful for the person, but it kind of sounds like one of those stories that you go, really? Are you making that? Yeah. Like it bounced off your sofa. A meteor bat- came in through the window. That, what I mean, what are the chances? But I suppose, like you say, you know, the odds of it, you know, it could be anywhere on the planet, you know. So I guess the chance of it being in a really, really built up area are, are less in some ways, but still possible, isn't it? Yeah, it's still possible. Anything's possible in space. That's <laughs> so unbelievable. Um, now, um, now this Perseid shower it peaked last night. Yeah. Um, but does it? Is it literally? Is it a one night only, and that's it? It's all over, or does this show run for a few nights? It was opening night last night. <laughs> yeah, it does run for a little while. It technically started sort of the end of July, and uh, it's a quite a big dust sort of cloud we're going through. And uh, it doesn't end really until sort of about, I'd say, the 24th of August, so the end of August. So it is going on. The only thing is now it is going to sort of dwindle in numbers. So if you can get out, grab a cup of tea, hot chocolate, grab your kids, throw them out in the garden, as I say, or out in the field, and go out and have a look up in the sky, because you never know. They, they do happen all the time. There's always bits of rock and stuff coming in that we don't know about. So you may see a random fireball or a really cool shooting star any night. This Perseid meteor shower, though, this is obviously um, something that is maybe more spectacular. How often do we see them? Like, you know, if we miss this one, when might the next one be? Or is it completely random? Uh, It's usually yearly. So every time we'll see the Earth goes round, it goes straight through the dust again, goes round, goes straight through the dust of the comet again. But uh, there's another one, I believe, in December and one in January that are just as good. If not, they might be better. But yeah, there's small ones all through the year. Almost every month there is some sort of meteor shower, but most of them are kind of maybe like five or ten an hour, something like this. There's only two or three that are actually really dramatic and you see a real increase in numbers. So what's the most, because I'm thinking, you know, as, as astronomy goes for you, and obviously you're really into this stuff now. Yeah. And um, what's, the, what's the most, what's the thing that you've got most excited about that you've seen? And you've literally, you've felt like a five-year-old with excitement over <laughs> spotting this in the sky. What, what's it been? Well, I've, there was two things. When I first ever started, it was my wife's fault. She bought me a tiny little telescope for about 50 quid. That was it. And uh, I went out into my gardens in Milton Keynes where I live popped out of my garden because I read in the magazine that Jupiter, the planet, was up. And I was kind of like, oh man, that'd be awesome to see. So I looked out, I saw a little blob in the sky. That's what we call them. We call them blobs, blobs (laughs) and fuzzies, depending. And I've got this tiny little telescope, which is literally just a mirror, pretty much, that reflects it into my eye. Put it onto Jupiter, had a look through. Wow. It was small, I'm not going to lie. But (laughs) I saw this planet and then four white dots in like a diagonal line. Mm. And there it's moons, so it's main moons. So I could see it's main moons and a planet with this tiny little telescope in my garden. And I ran in and told my wife, and she was, you know, that's lovely, dear. (laughs) But yeah, she said I was like a child. I was like, it's a planet and it's got like moons and everything, and then ran back out. 
Fantastic. Been for hours. Oh well, and that and that's and it's moments like that, isn't it? It's excitement like that, which I guess for people who are into it, like yourself, is what it's all about. Amazing. And just when you think about the distances and what you're looking at, and even when you look into the skies, it is kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? I can't, I kind of try not to think about it too much because it, you just end up going, wow. Just my brain, I just can't quite comprehend it all, really. Yeah. It's mad. I'm, I'm, it's, when you look, when you see the stars in the sky. Yeah. Probably most of the, the stars you're seeing might not be there anymore because their know. light has already left them. I heard they that. They've already gone. Isn't that weird? So almost like you're looking at in the skies, you're looking at history because yep, you don't know much. what. Wow, just it's my it's mind blowing stuff. It's brilliant. Uh, well, thank you very much for explaining more about that, Ross. Ross, welcome. You're welcome. From Milton Have a lovely day. See you later. That's Ross there, uh, who's loving a bit of astronomy, telling us all about the Perseid meteor shower. Not too late to see a little bit of it. I think the media hype these things up way too much and then when you actually see it and go oh was that it it's never yeah. as big as they make out it's gonna be it's random chance and you might see a couple of streaks going across the sky mm-hmm. that's it still cool but and then we have others that explode over russia yeah they're pretty spectacular and as far as we can work out only one person has ever been hit by one and that was in 1954 or something like that <laughs> so the chances of getting hit by them are very very small yeah but you can buy insurance on it I bet you can you can't no you I, you really can I don't know why you'd want to but you can yeah anyone who's um let's call a spade a spade they're paranoid paranoid would be the word yeah they've probably got insurance for everything if there's a way of making money out of people the insurance oh, f- companies will find it oh yeah absolutely and if there's any way of not paying out if something happens they'll find that as well I can imagine that <laughs> you go and you pay for insurance to get you know if you get hit by a meteor or a meteoroid would that be more accurate I forget, I forget which one it is meteor is when it hits meteoroid is when it doesn't quite make it I think so when if okay. it burns up in the atmosphere right. that's a okay. meteoroid yeah. so, you, so you get hit by a meteor so you go ahead and you try to claim your insurance and they say oh we don't cover acts of God <laughs> what I can see it happening there was a really cool movie about that um, it was about a guy who had a boat and it got struck by lightning and uh, he tried to claim on the insurance and they said it was an act of God so he tried to sue God oh jeez Billy Connolly was in it but yeah it was called I think it's called The Man Who Sued God I'm sure it was I've gotta look this up <laughs> yeah that's it 2001 Australian comedy starring Billy Connolly and Judy Davis so yeah it, these things happen uh, it's the same here where, where we call it the uh, what did we call it the big storm or the great storm the great storm of 87 it's the closest as we've ever got to a proper hurricane in this country. It was lifting roofs off of garages oh, yeah. and sheds and all kinds of... Yes, it does. And the guy who did the weather forecast, is a famous forecaster, uh, a guy called Michael Fish. Good afternoon to you. Earlier on today, apparently, a woman rang the BBC and said she heard that there was a hurricane on the way. Well, if you're watching, don't worry, there isn't. But having said that, actually, the weather will become very windy. But most of the strong winds, incidentally, will be down over Spain and uh, across into France. He's never lived that down. And then he tried to backtrack, saying that he was misquoted? What? <laughs> what? 
And every time there's one of those TV shows where, you know, like, when weather goes bad. Oh, yeah. You know, one of those kind of, that always comes up. So, for you guys, it is referred to as an extra-tropical cyclone. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but it's, let's face it, it's still a hurricane. Might not be the same kind of thing. Uh, let's see. Highest measured gust in the UK was measured at 122 miles an hour. You guys got whacked. Wow. Yeah, we did. And uh, they, they oh. call that the, the, the Great Storm of 87. <laughs> That's nuts. We love weather in this country. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget. A friend of mine in London once told me, we don't have climate over here, we have weather. Yeah, and, and I always remember, I think I've mentioned this to you before, when I was at the Paralympics in 2012, uh, we got one of those big jumbotrons, and it's got all the different conditions of what's going on, and it says weather typically British <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> sunny and storming and windy at the same time <laughs> all, se- all seasons in one day yeah yeah <laughs> I know we do go on about the, the weather here a lot uh, when you're on a an island as a lot of people don't consider because uh, they've probably never left the UK before they don't consider themselves to be on an island and I'm like well we are surrounded by water. <laughs> Technically, we are an island. So we get a lot of the weather that comes in from continental Europe. We get we get the tail ends of a lot of the bad weather that the east coast of America gets. And then we get the stuff that comes across from the north. So anything that comes in from Scandinavian countries and all that kind of stuff, we get that as well. <laughs> We just get hit with everything, really. But we're starting to lose seasons here. It's either wet or dry. It's that's how it is. It's a, it's a lot, bit like being in I don't know Indonesia or somewhere. You know where they have their wet season and their dry season. <laughs> we're starting to kind of get that, but we don't get the the monsoons like they have. But um, when I was a kid, we used to have proper winters where I can remember when I was a kid trying to get into school and the uh, the caretaker we call them caretakers I don't know if you it's not quite a janitor because they do a bit more than just be a janitor because they would have to clear the paths for us you know from all the snow so they've made all these banks of snow kind of like snow drifts with paths mm-hmm. in the middle and the only thing that's going through my head was I'm on Hoth you know, it's like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> so we used to have proper snow drifts back then. Now we don't have any of that. We have a few, you know, a couple of inches and that's it. Unless you live in Scotland or somewhere and then, yeah, you get some snow. But we could get political and talk climate change, but let's not do that. That'd be a bad idea. Yeah, it would be. So shall we go into the main part of the show? We're going to talk about an event that uh, John takes part in every year that doesn't narrow it down because you do a couple every year (laughs) (laughs) actually not too many but you do you do two main ones put it that way yeah i I do two big ones and uh so we're gonna take a short break come back and uh john's gonna talk to us a little bit about that from big finish productions Space enthusiasts out there, it's Space 1999. I'm detecting a spike in vital signs. Coffee, Commander Koenig. 
Mm. Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks. Welcome to the program, Commissioner. Very happy to be here, Petra. My big moment. Paul! Paul Morrow, is that you? Out cold. I got a total computer shut down here, Paul. Something hit us. Uh, oh, Victor. Oh, it's good to see you. Ah, he's breaking through. Stun him. But I've got another astronaut sick. Just like the others. Just as hopeless. How many more people are going to have to die, Simmons? Paul. Commander, there's a problem with Eagle 4 on approach to Sector 2. Break away immediately. That's an order. Break away. Moon Base Alpha, 13th September 1999. This is Dr. Helena Russell. Put me through to Metapro Commander Alan Carter. What's this? Not making house calls anymore, Doctor. Sector 2's exploding! My God! It's like they're watching us. The moon and the Earth are safe. People are dying out there, John. Recall all eagles. What exactly happening out there? Can we get through Moon Base Alpha? It's only us who might get our socks blown off, Simmons. Space 1999. Breakaway. Shall we play a game? Welcome back to TGP Nominal. Now, John. Yes. It's a few months ago now. Yeah, just a cup of tree. So it's PAX East, isn't it? It is, because PAX West is too far away. PAX South is uh, in the middle of January, and PAX Australia, no. So there's no PAX North? No. If there is, that'd probably be Canada. Well, I mean, PAX West is in Seattle. You don't get much farther north in the continental U.S. than there. I was thinking maybe Minnesota. No, Minnesota, it has a little part up top that goes a little bit higher, but Mm -hmm. Seattle is right near the Canadian border. So, and the border with U.S. and Canada pretty much uh, from Michigan out goes straight across. So, no, a a PAX North would have to be up in Canada. I know you've probably explained this before on other uh, episodes when you've been been to this event, but um, tell us a little bit about it. PAX East is, well, it was originally called the Penny Arcade Expo. Now it's just called PAX. Uh, If you're into gaming, I'm sure you know the online comic strip called Penny Arcade. Well, yeah, those are the guys that started it. But now it's just called PAX East. There are, as I already mentioned, four different ones throughout the world uh, throughout the year. Basically once every three months. Although it's really weird because according to the schedules for next year, PAX South normally is in uh, January. PAX East is supposed to be the end of February in Boston. Oh dear God. That's going to be cold. That's going to be really cold. That's questioning whether you want to go because you're taking a gamble with the uh, big snowfall, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this year at um, Star Wars Celebration, which was in Chicago, and that was in April, and they had snow uh-huh. then. So That's wow. not unusual. But, yeah. So, yeah, next year's going to be uh, interesting. No, I take that back. There's a fifth one. There's PAX Unplugged, which takes place in Philadelphia, and that's all about board games and card games. No video games, hence the unplugged. Right. But there was such demand for the board game and card game area at the other PAXs that they said, let's try one that has, you know, no video games at all. And that was a huge hit. So now that's the newest PAX. 
I know we have some similar uh, events over here. I know there's uh, about three different ones, plus there is the the board gaming one as well. So, well, you guys um, have probably the the world's biggest one, which is Gamescom over in Germany. That one's massive. Yeah, the Germans really know how to put on conventions. They've got it down to a T. Is that in Cologne? I think it is, yeah. There is a big um, convention expo center in Cologne. I know that much, so it probably is. Yep, that's in Cologne. I thought it would be. And in fact, that's next week. That one's huge. That's the biggest of the gaming conventions that I know of. And uh, how many years have you been doing this for now? Oh, God. Uh, seven or eight. And I missed one only because I was trying to be responsible, you know. Well, that money could go on to other things like the house or whatever, so I'm going to skip packs this year. I won't spend the money for the hotel and the tickets, blah, 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 blah. And I was miserable. That was when PAX was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. My wife came up to me Saturday and said, John, I don't care how much it costs. From now on, you go to PAX. You are miserable. And I was. Because, <laughs> you know, watching the stream online thinking, oh, that'll be fine. Because then it'll be like I'm there. But instead, my mind was thinking, but I could be there. Why am I not there? I'm here at home. Why am I not in PAX? And so my wife was like, no, don't, don't you dare do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Just making her miserable, didn't mean to. And this year was a bit different for you, wasn't it? Because you, didn't you take your daughter along this year? I took my oldest daughter and her best friend, who is pretty much an adopted daughter to us. Well, I mean, that, that was a first for them in a lot of ways. We didn't actually go in, but we stopped off on the Jersey side right across from New York City. So they had never seen that before. So there's the Statue of Liberty, there's Manhattan up north. They were thrilled about that. They'd never been to New England, so now they're in Connecticut, they're in Massachusetts, they're in Rhode Island. So that was cool for them, too. Um, you know, they'd never gone to a gaming convention. I was actually a little bit worried because of anxiety issues that a lot of teenagers have. No, they were fine. The first day, I walked them around the convention center so that they could at least get their footing. And then off they went, and that was it. You know, we'd bump into each other every now and then, but until it was time to leave, we were pretty much all on our own. And probably Saturday would have been the worst day for them anyway because it would have been packed on Saturday is always the worst. It wasn't as bad because now it's four days. So Thursday, there's hardly anyone there. Friday, there's a little bit more. Saturday is when it gets packed. Sunday's not too bad because everybody's trying to go home. It, no, it worked out well. We had a good time. And then uh, this is the first time they'd ever been to Boston. And when uh, we got up there... We had dinner, and then I said, come on, I'll take you up to Boston. And at that point, the sun was down, so they got to see Boston all lit up. And Boston's a beautiful city. I love that city. We can literally say that we went to Harvard. Not for school, but we went to Harvard. <laughs> it was a good time. And then on the way back, because there wasn't too much of a diversion, we stopped off at uh, one of the lighthouses on the Atlantic Sea Line. So they got to see the, you know, the coast, and they got to see the Atlantic Ocean for the first time. It was a cool trip all around. How different was it for you this year compared with other years? Not as many of the bigger companies were there this year. Microsoft is always there, Nintendo's always there, Sony's always there. But there were a lot of the other software companies, not a whole lot. And some of the bigger names that were there were simply selling merchandise. And I guess that's because a lot of the big companies didn't particularly have any big games coming out this year. I mean, that's just the way it felt. 
I don't know if that really was the case, but that's how it felt. But year after year, the indie and the card and board game sections seem to grow like crazy. Uh, in fact, a friend of mine now works for them specifically for the indie section, and he does that all year. I guess he handles all the PAXs. But yeah, I mean, it, it's enough there that they now have a full-time guy and probably a staff simply to work on the indie section. So that's really cool for you, because I know you like your independent games. Yes and no. I mean, I do I do absolutely adore my, you know, Ubisoft AAA titles, like my Assassin's Creed and so forth. Uh, Warframe, <laughs> hello. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll, you know what? I don't know. Could they be considered indie? Last I heard, they have like 25 million users, but they're not owned by a AAA company. <laughs> they're owned by, I believe, a, a Chinese pig farming company. I kid you not. Okay. Yeah, it's just the way that it worked out. <laughs> I don't remember all the details. But actually, now that I think about it, Warframe might be considered indie. As big as they are, I don't know. I have to think about that. Because of what we were talking earlier about the fact that you go to two main conventions a year and the fact that that one company has got its own Yes. Convention shows you how big that is. Yes, yes, it is. It's not as big as you might think. Tenocon, which is for Warframe, and we can talk about it in more detail later. It's in this smaller city in the middle of Ontario, so the convention center only holds about two thousand people. All right, okay. So it really is just for fans of the game, and there is enough demand uh, that they can they can do that. Although it's funny because every year they talk about how Pennsylvania is always very well represented there. Well, yeah, we're only a few hours away. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we got two major cities in this state. No wonder it's well represented. Pop through New York, go across Niagara Falls, you're pretty much there. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's a fun one. But we, we can talk about that one later, because that one was really cool this year. But yeah, so PAX East, I love the indie section is because the developers are there. Sometimes the CEOs are there. You know, you can actually talk to the people who make the games and, you know, the people who do the tech support or the tech lead and, and all that sort of thing. You can talk to the people who actually make the game. You can't really do that with the non-indie groups. Ubisoft is not going to have some of their developers over there. They're going to have PR people. You know, Electronic Arts, same thing. They're going to have PR people there. I like being able to actually talk to the people who are actually mm-hmm. who are, who are making the games. Plus, they're the ones who are willing to take the chance. The bigger title companies aren't really all about taking chances. They're like, hey, we have these established brands, and we want to come out with the latest iteration every year or every other year because the solid fan base will buy it up regardless. They don't really do a lot of chances, and that's why I like the indie groups. That's where you're going to see the games that are sometimes mind-blowing that someone even came up with it. That's always a good thing, though, because it's from those smaller seeds, as, as it were, that sometimes you get like cult, oh, yeah. cult games that come out of that. Again, because they're the ones who are willing to take a chance. Mm-hmm. They figure, this is what I want to do. This, they don't have to worry about a committee. They just decide, hey, this is what I want to make. I'm going to make it. Hey, uh, this friend of mine, he also he does music, and he's willing to come in and do the music for me. So a lot of the games, and the people that I spoke to, are small teams, 10 or less. Now, some of the games were done by one person. Some of them were done by students. You get a whole bunch of mixes in there when it comes to the indie sections that you simply don't have with the bigger titles. Now, that said, this year's was kind of eh in that regard because there were a lot of companies that were doing 2D retro platformers that really didn't seem to differentiate themselves. A lot of companies were doing horror games, which I don't like horror games. This year, for some reason, there seemed to be a lot of same old, same old. They might be putting their own little spin on it one way or another. 
still seemed to be a little bit of everybody was kind of doing the same thing that someone else did. There were a few standouts, absolutely a few standouts. This PAX East has made me that much more eager to get a VR setup because some of the VR games that I tried were mind-blowing. I mean, there were, there were definitely a lot of good games there, and I actually had a chance to meet a gaming legend. Didn't even know he was there, which completely blew my mind. So but we can talk about that as we go on. But yeah, it's always fun regardless, because you still get to go to the meetings with people and, and groups. There's a, a podcast uh, that I support called What's Good Games. Well, the, the three women who run that did a panel there, so I got to meet them, that sort of thing. Spoke with uh, Major Nelson from Xbox. You know, he's like the head guy for Microsoft Xbox PR. So I got to meet him again. I, I meet him every year. It's always fun. If you're a gamer, there's going to be something there for you. You know, unfortunately, I'm not a big card gamer, a board gamer. That's the drawback of having five in your family, because most of those games are meant for four people, Yeah, which drives me nuts. And then, the two youngest ones, you really do not want them to be competing against each other. Serious <laughs> sibling rivalry. And the vast majority of those four-player board and card games are competitive. Mm-hmm. So you're screwed that way, too. So I end up restricting myself mostly to the video game section, which, that's fine. I'm, I'm cool with that. Oh, there, well, we did have one cool thing. We did go to the, the Ubisoft spot. My daughter went the one day in her uh, Assassin's Creed costume. She's got a full costume for it. And I was simply wearing an Assassin's Creed shirt. And we went into the Ubisoft store, and the guy said, I know that shirt because I helped to market that. <laughs> It's like, well, there you go. So he got a picture of the two of us because she was wearing her Ezio Auditore costume. So that's always fun to have that sort of thing going on. You know, when when even the people who are there are like, that's cool. Can I get a picture of it? Hey, sure. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're taking time out to do something and then somebody actually takes notice of it, then it's always cool. Yeah, somebody from that company. Yeah. You know, a franchise that you love, and those people are taking notice. That's always fun. So... Where to start? If you play this, you will want a VR headset. Period. End of story. Have you ever played a... It's available on Steam as well as mobile. It's mostly mobile. Called The Room. There's The Room, The Room 2, and The Room 3. I've heard of. It's amazing. I love them. It's a photorealistic, first-person puzzle game. And it's the kind where they don't try to trick you. You know, everything there is logical. If you think if you think things through, look at the hints that they give you throughout the game. You can figure it out. You know, it, it's not like the old uh, you know Sierra Online games where you could die and you have no clue why. You know, th- these are all very logical, very ordered. I, I just I love them. I absolutely love them. There was one there called Kaisuo, and it's based on Chinese or Japanese puzzle box. But the thing is, you put the VR headset on, and it's completely six degrees of freedom so here's this puzzle box in front of you you can see inside of it you can see the gears that move things but you have to actually move around the box look above it look below it look into it so you've got complete six degrees of freedom trying to solve the puzzle to this box and if you solve that then you go on to the next part which is the same thing Again, it's it's all logic, really. They don't try to do anything to trick you. Everything is there. You just have to notice it, and you have to try to think of ways that aren't necessarily obvious to get things to work. But it is such a cool game, and that's done entirely by, I believe, college students. If I remember correctly, I think that was uh, University of Southern California, I think. But anyway, got an interview with him, so... 
and your name is? Eric. Eric, okay. So this is for Kaisuo? Yeah, Kaisuo. Okay. So first, what is the game based on? Kaisuo is a virtual reality puzzle game based on the concept of a Chinese puzzle box. We wanted to capture both uh, the very physical nature of dealing with re everyday real objects and also the uh, abstract nature of puzzles that we don't see that much in virtual reality. Right. In it, you, play, you, you find these boxes that seem fairly mundane at first and you, uh, you start playing around with them, you start solving them, trying to get inside. And after, you realize that these uh, boxes unlock more surreal landscapes and worlds. Yeah, I was playing for a good five minutes of it. The VR aspect is fantastic. Nice and fluid. It's great to work with. And being able to you know, grab the boxes and move them and open them. So what prompted like this kind of, of idea for it? Okay. The game is based on the idea of pushing the genre of VR forward. We found everything we wanted VR to be, everything we believed it could be, its real potential, and we tried to put that in the game. So one aspect, for example, is the physicality of the game. We want it to be a much more realistic feeling, much more weighty. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time on using the haptics, uh, the vibration on the controller, and trying to mimic real life. For example, in the game, there's one portion where you uh, open two very small doors, mm -hmm. and then it kind of makes a noise, and we mimic that noise uh, with vibration that would mimic it in real life. Okay. So you actually get to feel it. And this goes for like uh, every time you move an elevator door, you feel it. You, uh, you pick something up, you feel it. All those small details. And um, we chose a puzzle game specifically because VR has this uh, cool aspect where it's both very real, but can be very surreal. Mm -hmm. So we started with a very realistic environment that people would be familiar using objects such as keys, flashlights, right. and we kind of twist those ideas on their head. And uh, as you play further in the game, uh, the, we take everyday rules that you start out with and we uh, twist your expectations and use right. those as puzzle mechanics. Right. Yeah. I mean, even just things like looking outside the clock window, looking over the town and seeing... That, that, that is cool enough as is. But then you integrate six degrees of freedom yes. so that you can actually bend down and the, the one part that that I was doing was that, that puzzle box with the key and, and the gear mechanisms. But I could actually kneel down and look up inside the box and it's, it was nice and fluid. I really... The one game that I think this really compares to the most is one of my favorite puzzle games is the Room series. I really had that look and feel to it, which was very impressive. So how long have you been working on this? So this was a student game out of really? yeah, out of USC, University of okay. Southern California. Uh, this was our capstone project. A team of around seven people was our core team, but our uh, the, the majority of our team, we had like 22 people for a total team. And um, we were a student project out of USC. We finished uh, our... We finished the project at the end of the year we showcased, and we thought maybe this has some potential. Mm -hmm. So we decided to move forward with it. And right now we're looking for round A funding. Right. We're, we're coming out, yeah. Well, I mean, hey, Portal was the same way. Yeah. And look what happened to that. Yeah. So you never know. That's the dream. Yeah. So right now it's Oculus, Oculus only, or? Right now it is, uh, the demo is released for free on Oculus Store, and we're coming to Steam for both Vive and Oculus on April 26th, also the free demo. Okay, cool. Is there going to be a, a non-VR? You can kind of mimic it with the mouse no, for uh, people who like puzzles. We specifically designed this game for VR. All the puzzles require VR, okay. especially the later ones that you didn't get to play, but you right. would see if you tried it. Uh, is there anything else planned after this, or are you still just working on getting this grinding, get this done? And Yeah, so right now we've uh, we got the demo out. We're 
fairly comfortable with their, where it is, but it is just a demo. Right. And we're looking for uh, Round A Funding, which is uh, an investor of some sort, to give us enough money to create the full four to six hour game. We have plans, we have the outline and designs for a lot of the game. We just need the money to make that happen. I understand that. So that's why we're at these expos. We're looking for an investor of some sort. Sure. Uh, any option on like Kickstarter or Indiegogo? or? Uh, we're, we've been considering it, and we'll see how the feedback is after we release on Steam. If it's get, got, got a lot of Steam rolling, mm-hmm. then we'll cons- uh, crowdfunding is a possibility. Okay, that's cool. Well, I, like I said, I, I played about 10 minutes of it, and that's my kind of game. That kind of just logic puzzle, and then the ability to the six degrees of freedom looking all around the box. That was that was really good, and I also like the fact that the way you had it, where you don't walk to your destination, you kind of just flip to your next area. There's been a concern in VR about actual motion. Yes, and people are like, oh well, let's do something like Borderlands or something like that in VR. It's like. Yeah, but you're kind of running, and how do you do that if you're actually standing yeah, still? Yeah, and it makes a lot of people sick. But, all right, well, thank you for your time. Thank Wish you. you luck with the funding. Thank you. And uh, well, hopefully this will, this will take off for you, because that's fun. That's my kind of game. All right, glad you liked it. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. After I played that one, I texted my wife and said, I'm really close to getting VR at this point. Because it's that good. That wasn't the only one, though. I didn't get an interview, but there was another one there called, I hope I'm pronouncing this properly, uh, Demagnete? Or Demagnet? I'm not sure, but it's from Bitcake Studio. It's kind of along the lines of Portal, but it's all VR, and you've got the two controllers. One pulls, and the other one pushes. So, you know, one, one attracts, and the other one repulses. And you have these cubes that you have to place in certain locations. Sometimes you have to lift them up, put them into a hollow box, and then drop them down. Other times you have to use the uh, attracting beam to pull it out of wherever it is and then throw it across to wherever using the repulsor part of the beam. That was a lot of fun, too. And that that also... Again, it's it's all puzzle. It's all logic. People who play Portal will understand that game very easily. And the same thing, you, it had hopping instead of actually trying to walk. So that took a little bit of getting used to, because the buttons to do that were in an unusual place. But that one was another fun one. And that's one of those where if I had VR, I would buy both of those games in a heartbeat. Well, VR is becoming more affordable anyway, isn't it? It's, um... it's getting there. It's still... I have res- I will not buy an Oculus for for Facebook reasons. I'll leave it at that. So for me, I'm kind of restricted that it would pretty much have to be an uh, uh, HTC Vive, which is about seven hundred dollars, and then you need the PC to run it. Mm-hmm. So that one, I'm kind of in a bit of a tough spot. But but yeah, I mean, otherwise, the newest one, Oculus Quest, I think. Um, it, that's all self-contained. So you don't need a PC to connect to it. You're obviously not going to get the breadth of games that you would get with a full Vive or a full Oculus. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the the prices are starting to come down. It's still going to be a couple of years before I think it's at a point where just about anyone can afford it. It's also a matter of space. Well, I mean, you folks over there, your houses are relatively small compared to over here. Yeah. You guys don't have a lot of room for VR in, in a lot of mm-hmm. your houses. And so that's something that has to be overcome as well. You know, the games have to be done in a way that can fit that sort of environment. 
So you're thinking probably there's going to be like two versions of it, one for like American households and one for European households? I don't, well, no, I mean, I don't know about that. It's really hard to tell. It depends on the games because not every game is going to require you to have a lot of space. Games that you can sit down, like flight simulators, space simulators, that sort of thing, Games like that, anybody can play. Uh, it's the kind where you might be expected, like, six degrees of freedom, but you also have to walk around in order to do that. Those could be an issue. Now, the more expensive headsets have cameras, and it can figure out for itself how much room you've got to walk, and then it can work within those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so others have you actually draw a virtual area uh, with a controller to say, hey, I've got this much space. And then it'll work within those boundaries. A bit like with the um, like the robots, vacuum cleaners, and yeah. lawnmowers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one way way or another, it should be okay for just about everyone, even with just a little bit of space. But no, I can't imagine them saying, "Well, you know, we'll have a Yankee version and a British version." I can't see them doing that. They'll probably, <laughs> they'll probably just be able to accommodate for both. So obviously, the problem with VR is you need to have VR equipment. This next game, you can play this without any additional hardware, but it's not nearly as fun, and it kind of doesn't go with the name. The game is called Lightboxer, and this one, I I just stood there watching people playing this, and I'm thinking, what the hell is this? It's basically a music rhythm game, but you are physically punching this hexagonal shaped... It kind of looks like... um, You know the belts that they have for wrestling and boxing? Oh, yeah, yeah. It looks like that, except the thing lights up, and you physically punch it. So, yes, you can play it on a tablet if you want, just by touching the the buttons to the right rhythm. Or you can punch the crap out of this thing when it lights up for the rhythm. (laughs) So, clearly, it's single use in that regard. But if you're into physical fitness or you just want to get a good workout, this could do it because I'm, I'm watching people punching this thing as hard as they can and they tell you punch it as hard as you can it's definitely one of the more unique things I saw at PAX this year okay your name again was I'm Jeff Morin Jeff okay this is for Lightboxer which at its core is a mobile game a uh, a rhythm game where you've got six circles in a hexagon and you have to hit them in sequence except what I'm looking at is a big gray pad that has a bunch of lights to it right. so you're taking the mobile game into the physical realm. Right, so some people, uh, there's been a big trend going towards um, augmented reality and virtual reality. This is almost the opposite, which is what we call real reality, or um, reality augmented. Um, Essentially, this, the hardware here um, is the screen, it is the device, and if you can imagine punching to the beat of your favorite music, and as you're hitting these combos, the crowd's going wild, um, that's what Lightboxer is. It, the, inside the mobile game, there's actually a story where it teaches you um, how to, to box the device better. Okay. And the whole point of the game is to become the Lightboxer champion. So Lightboxing is a future sport um, where people uh, compete in their living rooms or in their gyms, and they want to get to the center stage where they become the Lightboxer champion of the world. Um, and that's kind of what we're, our goal is to have in reality where um, you can challenge your friends. So you, we'll have uh, weekly songs that come out and 
you can play those songs and there'll be weekly challenges where um, your score will be compared to everyone else's if you want right uh, we'll also have in, in-app DLC where you could buy new songs or other game modes for example like the Simon Says example or, right 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 um, a workout mode where someone might tell you box of the song um, do active rest box of the song and then you get like a quick 30 minute workout so there's there's a lot of options this is the first time we've ever shown it off um, publicly so okay. today is the, the first day anyone's seen it outside of uh, private tests right so and in effect you're targeting two markets with one game because you're targeting just a casual player for their phone but then people who actually are trying to get into some fitness exactly you know some upper body workouts and then they buy this yeah you don't even know like you're playing the game it's so fun that you don't even know like um, how, how gassed you are at the end. You're like, wow, that was fun, but yeah. uh, um, I actually started to sweat a little bit. That is cool. So, okay, now, of course, the obvious question, when are the pads going to be available and how much are they going to be? Right, so um, right now, the our goal for having the whole device available, so the, the pad comes out with the actual stand itself as well. Okay. So you get the pad in the stand. Um, our goal is to have them available to purchase on our website uh, mid-September. Okay. Um, our target price is between two forty nine and two ninety nine. Okay. So, um, and that so that's, that's about the price of a really decent piece of gym equipment. Sure, if you look at like Rock Band or something, that whole yeah, setup yeah, yeah. actually might exceed that. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's that also comes with the the like six, a bunch of songs that will be in the app. So both pop and production music will be available. Okay. And heck, if anything, you just leave it up and just have it do a light show for you when it's not doing anything else. Yeah, I mean, it looks, it's, it's stunning. It's a pretty attractive on, on its own, and that was one of our goals. Uh, yeah. Make, well, it, make it look like something you don't mind leaving in your living right. room or whatever. Well, and it's one of those things that I walked past, and I was like, what are those lights? What is he doing hitting that? And then it is definitely an eye catcher. Yeah, it's definitely, um, hardware is hard, so making, oh, yeah, making yeah. something that with lights um, that people can punch is not... not yeah, because the dura- I can only imagine what the durability is going to have to be for that. Right, yeah. And these are um, still prototypes for sure. Right. Um, so we'll see, how, we'll see how it goes with backs, but I, they're holding up so far. That's yeah, good. Well, I'll come and see you on Sunday and we'll see what they're like then. <laughs> yeah, it might be, this might be a handoff demo. Uh, I hope not. I think, I, think we'll, I think we'll make it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you're going to get a crowd for this one. Thanks. All right, cool. Thanks for talking. That's probably the most unique game that I saw there this year. I don't know of any other game we have to punch this big pad that's standing right in front of you. Yeah, it sounds really cool. One thing I was thinking was there could be an option to tell you how well you are doing as in physically. Yeah, they might. They might. I I honestly don't know. Because a lot of people are into that kind of thing, you know, checking their stats Mm -hmm. all the time and stuff. So, um, you know, because everyone seems to have, like, Fitbits and all that kind of stuff. So It could be. uh, I mean, they could probably estimate... I'm guessing that the senses are just going to be you hit or you didn't. Mm-hmm. But they might be able to estimate that, well, you know, if punching this thing however many times burns up 10 calories, then you've burned up X amount of calories based on how many hits you've made. They could probably do something like that. Yeah. Obviously, back in the day when, when you used to have the, I can't remember what it was called now, on the Nintendo Wii, you had the uh, the Fitball. Yeah, the balance board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and at the time, that was really popular. I know I had one. <laughs> and uh, I still think it's a good idea. But people are still into interactive ways of keeping fit. Mm-hmm. Because just running around and doing things is quite boring. So if you could do something that's a little bit more 
interactive, then you forget that you're actually working out. Mm-hmm. So that that's a, a, probably going to be a good way of dealing with that. Yeah, hopefully they do well on that one. A lot of people were there. Uh, it, it was always busy when I walked past, especially you know Friday and Saturday. So just because it is unique and it's a nice display too. If you're not doing anything, the lights just you know fade in and out, and it's a very peaceful, relaxing, well, decoration at that point. Cool. So one of the sillier games that I played there. And I wasn't even really doing much. I was just standing there watching, but it's a couch co-op game. And they needed more people to play it. So the woman next to me is like, come on, come on, join in, join in, let's do this. All right, all right. And it was fun. It was dumb, stupid, colorful, cartoony fun. It's called Moving Out. You can cue Billy Joel all you want. But... (laughs) It's a couch co-op game, and you are doing basically what it says. You're trying to move furniture and equipment out of a building. But there's a time limit, and you can do crazy things like simply throwing it. You know, someone else is closer to the moving truck than you are. You can throw an an, an item to them. I almost tried to say object and item at the same time. You can't really do that. And it's just fun, but then later on... It gets to be more challenges where, oh, it's too high, you can't do that. Oh, you can't get it through this door, so you have to figure out some other way to get the equipment out. Meanwhile, it's it's a couch co-op, so you don't really know what the other person is thinking of doing. So they're trying to do their own thing, you're trying to do your own thing. And then they have other ones where ghosts are chasing you, and you have to punch the ghosts just to... You, yes, yes, you punch the ghosts to get them to back off a little bit. It's fun. It is stupid, cartoony fun. And your name is? Uh, Ashley. Ashley okay. Ringrose. Okay, and this is moving out from, what's your studio name? Uh, SMG Studios, SMG. so I'm like the studio head. We're based in Australia, okay. and moving out's been done out of our Melbourne studio. Okay, so this is, uh, is this a uh, party? Would you call this a party game? Yeah, I mean, a local? couch co-op, uh, couch cooperative co-op. moving simulator, right. if you will, so... I don't know about moving simulators where you slap ghosts around. Yeah, well, <laughs> you have to simulate every every kind every of possi- uh, possibility, <laughs> and uh, this game will train you for every moving possibility. So not just moving house, but moving office. Right. You know, moving uh, animals. Yeah, and, moving you know, giraffes. I giraffes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah have, and every building has blades in the floor. Yeah. Like that. Well, I mean, you have to be prepared for it. So <laughs> um, you haven't been into every building. So. Okay. We got trains. We got yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, interesting things for the final game. Okay. Oh, furniture arrangement relocation technician. Yeah, I was pretty proud of myself with that one. That's, <laughs> I can I can claim I can claim that one. You know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the team that's been working on this, we're actually working with uh, Dev M. Uh, guy to Sweden worked with him a fair bit on some other things and he showed us this and we're like yes we need a partner on this and we've been working on working with him ever since and it's been a, you know it's been a lot of fun oh so this is actually working with, with him yeah so Dev M yeah so okay. he, he kind of brought us the kind of prototype and the, the kind of you know I want to make a game about moving we're like yes this looks great so we kind of <laughs> we, we partnered with everything else and uh, it's kind of yeah, he, he had the I think he had the drop in there as a uh, test element we're like no we love it let's keep it in <laughs> sounds a lot like go simulator it's like hey you know what that's just weird let's go for yeah, it yeah <laughs> we, we definitely like same with our previous game death squared we want to have a game where like we've got a story here but we want to any, anything kind of goes in the story so we've set ourselves up so we can have really absurd uh absurd levels absurd story and uh kind of all tied together from a you know through a, through a loose narrative you know mm-hmm. that is 
first. So we go, yeah, we got uh, hands-on stuff first, hands-on in public, and then we'll probably uh, go into a bunker and finish the game off. You know, so just want to get an initial reaction from people, uh, and then yeah, we'll we'll go into a bunker until we're kind of you know closer to release. Any chance on this one actually being uh, like networked, or is there just too much latency for something like uh, that? We're we're working we're working with that in mind, but um, whether we have that at launch, we're not 100 sure. Like okay. it's. Uh, there is a lot more complications with online, uh, especially sure, on yeah. first launch. Uh, but yeah, we're actually building that with in mind, in mind anyway. So right now it, you're, you're going to launch on Steam. Uh, yeah, I mean we've, it's on wishlist for Steam, and um, our previous game describers on all platforms. We'll probably follow that, but we haven't announced anything because ah, okay. uh, just need to uh, you know get get the game ready, and then we'll you know we're still talking to platforms and stuff. So. Do you have an expected launch date for this? Uh, we had 2019, and we'll we'll make more announcements later on. So so basically, it'll be ready when it's ready. Yeah, yeah. This one's uh, the reaction, initial reaction, been better than we expected. So we're going to spend a little bit more time polishing. So. Uh, and, you know, crafting it. Right. And part of that was just removing things as well. We added so many, like, uh, gameplay elements, like we had slingshots, magnetic claws, ah. magnetic claws, uh, trampolines, so we kind of realized, like, we probably have to pair it back. Right. Uh, so do more with less. And so that's what we're kind of in now. It's like working out what are the most fun mechanics that we can use multiple times than, you know, have a slingshot to trampoline only for one level. So. Right, right. Yeah, because that was challenging enough just for those three levels. Yeah, and there's just a lot of fun in just that idea of trying to move a bed through some doors. And uh, But with this, these levels are all speed-based, and then we have other levels where they're a bit more precision, you know, like moving in a museum or something like that. Oh, so it's, but I mean, is every level time-based? Uh, right, for these, for packs, yes, but I think we'll have other levels where it's a little bit more, uh, will be more precise levels and stuff. But again, we're also trying to find the fun as well, like, if we, me, I wanted to add that variety, but we might find that those ones aren't fun. Right. So we might just cull them, so. Okay. So this is, so this yeah. is very much in, uh, is this even beta or still alpha phase? Oh, it's, this would be what's before me. Yeah, it's alpha, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we've got, like, a kitchen sink of, like, 40, 50 levels. Right. And this is, these are three that were kind of, like, showing and kind of test out, but, yeah, we kind of realized some some of the levels were too complicated, uh, and kind of, you know, simplified down, like, what, what is the most distilled fun mm-hmm. in the game? That was fun, actually. Uh, I enjoyed that one. All right, well, thank you very much. Good luck with your game. Thank you. So, yes, for a little bit, I was a furniture arrangement relocation technician. I'll let you come up with the acronym for that one. (laughs) 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 I didn't expect that one to be as much fun as it was, but I really enjoyed that one. And it's fun to get those nice cartoony ones every now and then. There were a bunch of horror games there. Eh, whatever. A bunch of 2D platformers. Eh, okay. Whatever. But this one caught my eye, and it was fun. You just pick up a controller and start playing. It seems like they've progressed a lot on it to to try and get it out for this year. Mm -hmm. Um, And they seem to have thought of everything for it. So, as you said, it's just a case of, you know, getting it to a polished product. Yeah, I I can imagine it being out just before Christmas. Well, as it stands right now, they're still listed as to be announced. So they still don't have anything, at least for Steam, but they'll get it done when they get it done, which is the way yeah. it really should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been a lot of games out there that have been pushed forward because of uh, pressure from people on social media and stuff, and the game just doesn't lived up to its what it should be. Yes, it can be also because of pressure, but really I have more respect for the devs who say, you know what, we're pushing it back, we need to polish it more, deal with it. Mm-hmm. 
I have more respect for them than all right, all right, all right. We'll we'll get it out and then we'll we'll fix it later. You know, yeah. uh, <clears throat> Assassin's Creed Unity. <clears throat> that one should not have been released when it was released. I still played the crap out of it, <laughs> but it should not have been released when it was released. So yeah, that's a fun one. Moving out, SMG Studios. Uh, just a fun. I don't know. They might be able to do something network, but it would have to be really low latency, especially if they're talking about precision levels. So we'll see. But as a co-op, you just have friends over, pick up a controller, have some fun and laugh. That's a game for it. One of the games that we used to play a lot on the old uh, PS1 was a game called Point Blank. It was one of the games that you used to have to use the light gun for. Oh, okay. And it was lots of different games that you could play on there against each other where you had things like um, there were plates that were spinning on um, poles. Mm -hmm. You had to shoot at them to stop them from falling off the poles and different things like that. It was fun because you could just play against each other and uh, you didn't take it too seriously. There were the old one or two people that used to get really competitive with it but you, you get that with everything yeah uh, I think it was a Namco probably was because they were the guys who did the G-Con 45 um, light guns uh, which I miss because you can't use them on LCD TVs no you can't use them no, on CRTs. Can't. It's CRT still keep it though oh yeah I've still got an original <laughs> Nintendo light gun you know again can't use it but oh well <laughs> I've still got one from the Spectrum actually it's called the Magnum the Magnum light gun <laughs> and uh, it was crap <laughs> What do you really think about it? <laughs> it wasn't very accurate. <laughs> Maybe your shots were just that bad. <laughs> and it was built for uh, games like Operation Wolf. So that's going back a few years. Yeah. <laughs> now, another group that was there, and they've been there the past few years, and I understand that some people might be thinking, why? But, believe it or not, the United States Army has been at PAX East... You might be thinking, what the hell? What's the military doing at a gaming convention? Let's face it, every country has a military. They try to recruit. A lot of the people at PAX are younger folks, you know, 20s, 30s. People that the military is trying to target. No pun intended on that one. And they've been actually making their own video games as well. So it makes sense that they should be someplace like this from both a recruitment and simply showing that they know how to have fun too. In fact, the the woman that I spoke to, she was a trip. I had a lot of fun talking to her and uh, well, just roll that beautiful bean footage. I'm Master Sergeant Rose Ryan. Uh, my gamer tag is Soprano GI. Nice. Um, with the U.S. Army Field Band and Soldiers Chorus. Okay. I'm the high voice group leader, so I'm in charge of the Sopranos and the Tenors. Okay, wonderful. So, this is a gaming convention. What brings the Army here? The Army is starting... I mean, the Army has always been innovative and ahead of the game. And today's generations are more and more connected through um, video and social media. Right. I, I know my son has closer friends online that he plays video games with that he's never met yep, in person than he, than he does at school. Mm -hmm. um, so the Army is seeing that and seeing that this is the way to reach them. Um, so, and also soldiers, we like to play video games. Oh yeah, yeah Everybody absolutely. likes to play video games. Yep. I'm 45 years old with two kids. 
like to play video games. <laughs> I'm four years older than you, and I'm here, and I'm a gamer. So we so. have some amazing, amazing competitive players in the Army. And the Army's also very competitive just I in general. <laughs> so... Didn't, didn't the Army actually make the, that video game, was it America's Army, several years ago? I, I only started playing games oh, again no. just recently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they did. I'm, I'm, sure I'm pretty sure there was. <laughs> but, uh, no, I played video games when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in high school I played uh, arcade games. Yep. I played a lot oh, of yeah. Mortal Kombat. We, we put our quarters on top of the arcade oh, machine yeah. to say who was Light, next. Yeah. Yep, I always her. had to play on the left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I played a little bit when I was in college. But then for a while, it, you know, I get married, have kids, and I'm busy. And I found myself, like, just sitting at home in my free time, just staring at my phone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I could be doing something a little more fun than this, because I realized, right. like, hours have passed. Meanwhile, I'm watching my son. He's playing Fortnite. Mm-hmm. In season one. Yeah. And... Season two, but he and his friends were in the middle of this game. They're supposed to be like going after all the other people, but they're in this soccer field with a soccer ball, mm-hmm. just playing a game of soccer. Right. And they're in the game, playing a game of soccer, laughing, having a good time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What? This Why is aren't really, you doing that? This is really cool. Yeah. This looks like so much fun." <laughs> like, you know, it's just like they were outside playing soccer, but they were inside, and some of the kids are on the other side of the country. Right. <laughs> so, so I, it was a way for me to have something more fun to do in my mm-hmm. free time, but also, I play Fortnite with my son now. Nice. And I'm, like, checking out some of the other games I'd like to play, League of Legends, or... Right. Uh, I tried a little Apex. I'll get there. Uh, it's not quite like Fortnite. So, so, so who are you currently dressed up as? I'm Zoe from Fortnite. Okay. Yesterday I was Bright Bomber from Fortnite. So now <laughs> we I we see what your favorite game is. Yeah, that's my favorite game. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, all good. Yeah. So what is this just basically uh, we're here, we're you know, we're the army, we're, we're gamers and, yeah. and we love tech and, and things well, like we're, that? We're, soldiers coming into the army with all of these like hand-eye coordination skills. Right. We want people to be able to fly drones. Um, doctors need good hand-eye skills. Right. It's, it's We need to reach those people where they are. Mm-hmm. And where they are is like in front of the computer, in front of the console, right. playing video games, social media. That's where I'm, I'm heading and up And needing to work like a team. <laughs> needing to work and like a team for a lot of being games. Being able to work like a so team. So that fits too. It's a uh, I think it's very innovative, and I'm very excited about it. Awesome. Well, thank you for talking to me. You're thank welcome. you for your service. You're welcome. And uh, have fun at PAX. Enjoy the concert. <laughs> I will do that. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. She was so much fun to talk to, and uh, she was definitely a good PR person. If you think about it, I mean, NASA goes to Comic-Con yeah. pretty much every year. And I think they do a few of the, you know, the big festivals yeah. like um, Burning Man and things like yeah, that. Yeah. So, But no, they, I mean, because they had robots there that they were letting people play with. Or should I say control, let's put it that way. So they, they also had some gadgets and tech and so forth there. And of course, they allowed the public to play against some of the soldiers in whatever games they were playing there. So no, it, it doesn't make sense for them to be there. It's just that I understand certain people would question it. Yeah. They also had a, uh, I don't want to say VR, it was kind of, sort of, but it was a section where 
they had a 360 degree camera for one of their paratrooping events and you could you could put on the VR headset and you could look around while it was playing the video of what that uh, paratrooper was seeing that was cool Again, not really VR but still at least gives you a 360 view that was that was pretty cool I must admit that was fun that's all there is for that one I don't know how to properly conclude that <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible in that regard. I never know how to conclude things. So there was another game there, and full disclaimer, I am a Kickstarter backer of this game called Evergate, and it is a 2D platformer, but it's very stylized. You, you play this, for lack of a better term, Wisp, and it's a puzzler more than anything else, but you actually freeze the moment, then you have to aim yourself through various light sources in order to complete the puzzle. So you have to be careful of how far you go because some light sources are going to be more obscured and then you're going to have other objectives that you have to do in the game. So, seeing as how I am a Kickstarter backer, uh, I think I might have accidentally said Indiegogo, but they had a Kickstarter, then they had an Indiegogo. And I'm pretty sure I was part of the Kickstarter. Uh, but they were there again, so I decided to say hello and... Uh, see what they had been doing with the game, seeing as how they were there last year, too, so the game's not out yet, and I wanted to see how much they progressed. Okay, so your name is? My name is Kent Willis. Kent Willis, okay, and this is for Evergate. Yep. Uh, I saw this last year, and uh, disclaimer, I'm actually part of the Indiegogo for this, so that's all good to go. This game, how would you describe this game? It's obviously a 2D platformer, but with a twist. It is a twist. So, in Evergate, uh, the puzzles are set up with these crystals in the afterlife. And you have to unlock the crystals, which means you have to fire your soul flame at it. But your soul flame only works when it's also aimed at what we call the source. So it's a, a game where you are uh, using a mechanic that you have to align your beam both with what you're trying to aim at and also a source that charges up your beam. It ends up making it very complicated uh, and challenging for the puzzle aspect, but it also challenges you on the platformer aspect right. as well because you have to position yourself to take those shots. Right. Uh, so the, the game is about uh, Ki, the soul in the afterlife, and when she arrives in the afterlife, she realizes that the uh, cycle of life is at uh, risk, it's threatened, uh, and her goal is to go back into her past to find a critical component that would help her save the afterlife. Yeah, and it's like, it's so hard to describe in an audio podcast, but yeah. it's not like a typical platformer either, because you've got that light beam that you... Just describing it, it sounds kind of hokey. Yeah, it's, but it's, then when you see it, it's gorgeous. We, we really struggled to try to figure out how you do it. How, how do you do the two-sentence explanation right. of firing the soul flame? Uh, and it's just this beam that comes out of your character, and uh, you know, you're looking for areas in which you can actually aim because like some some directions don't work and some directions do work right. uh, and ultimately you're trying to break these crystals and each one has a special power so the yellow ones will boost you backwards the white ones will swap with you and like, teleport you the, the red ones will kill you uh, some will create platforms and so and then you can combine them right? if right. there are two crystals in the same beam you might get swapped and then boosted and so like the number of things that are at your disposal while it looks pretty simple can get really complex based off of where you're positioned and which crystals you align so yeah it, it gets a little intense um, but it, that's the fun of it right. and I love the art design thanks I yeah. love it Cynthia does a really good job of creating her art and Ariel is amazing at the visual effects mm -hmm. and when you put them together you get what we have at Evergate 
And the music's also really nice. Uh, Mike Miller is our composer, and he's done some really amazing things with um, games like the Banner Saga mm, okay, right. and um, uh, Abzu. Uh, he worked oh, underneath. Abzu, yeah. Uh, yeah. Austin Wintery and him worked together on the music. Okay, all right, yeah. very cool. Yeah, so we've been working for about two and a half years on Evergate. Uh, last year was our first time to come to PAX, right. and we actually didn't have the game at all for about two weeks before PAX East last year. Uh, we had gotten accepted to show our game, but it was a totally different one, uh, and it wasn't as fun. And we figured out this mechanic like three or four weeks before PAX, and we scrapped it all, rebuilt it. Right. Uh, two days before, we had no assets in the game. And wow. that <laughs> night before, we were, we were putting in all the assets. It was crazy. Yeah, because I remember playing it last year, and it worked fine. So you guys went on a crunch on that one. Yeah, yeah we went on a limb. <laughs> <laughs> it was a high-risk, high-reward type of thing, and it really paid off, I think, because we got a lot of good validation, and over the last year, we've been really pushing that idea. Right. You know, if you remember last year, uh, the things that made the beam work were just, like, wood, and it, it didn't make sense. It's like, why would a, a beam that comes from this, like, soul creature connect with wood? Like it, it, and so we did a lot of, like consistency and narrative mapping mm -hmm. to our mechanics. It's like, right. okay, you know, uh, the afterlife is filled with this ancient power, and when you touch your soul beam to it, you charge up. And that's what makes it, this makes more sense to us, right. uh, why the soul beam works. Disclosure, I'm part of the Indiegogo on this, <laughs> so I didn't even know you guys were going to be here, so when I saw you here, I was like, oh, hey, I know that game. Thanks so, so much for supporting us. We just put up our Indiegogo very, very recently. Yeah. Uh, we just completed our Kickstarter as well. Mm -hmm. um, that was really exciting for that to be done and, and to be successful. Right. That really forced us to try to put words to what you were doing. Like We had the, the world, but when you're trying to explain to someone like a Kickstarter or Indiegogo, right. you're forced to say, okay, is everything consistent? Do you, have a, do you really understand your world and the game that you're building? And so that was a really fun uh, like, challenge for us to do. But I think it turned out really, really well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's gorgeous to look at. Thanks. So would you have a release date for this yet? Yeah, so end of this year is what we're searching for. Um, uh, around November is, is the goal. Yeah, all main platforms or just Steam? Or? Steam the first one. Uh, and uh, from there, we're hoping to get on the Switch. Uh, and after that, we'll hit the, the other Xbox and PlayStation. Right. Yeah, Switch makes sense. This would be a great this right. be a great game for the Switch. It's going to be a real interesting challenge to get uh, Ariel's visual effects to run on the Switch. But I really? Think just because of the limitation I mean, of, the, of exactly. the chipset? It's, it's an amazing platform, but it's still a mobile device. And so you, is, have to, yeah. like, you have to work within that. I mean, we don't push, um, you know, the boundaries of what, uh, you know, shaders can do, but it's still, it's still up there. Yeah, once you get particle effects and, and glow effects and stuff like that. Yeah, we, I mean, we've made our own lighting engine and uh, our own fog engine, uh, and so all of those things running at the same time could, could be something that's inter interesting for the Switch. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Good luck with the game. Thank Good you. luck with Indiegogo. Yeah. Was the Kickstarter successful? When? What was the Kickstarter successful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, we raised $33,000 in a month. Uh, and uh, it, we were shooting for twenty-five. Mm -hmm. so, so it was... All right, there you go. So you beat that. Yep. 
Um, so that, that'll get us to the end line. Um, and then our Indiegogo is hoping to allow us to do different things like um, you know, hire another artist um, to build parts of the world that right now we're not able to do just by ourselves. Oh, interesting. Right. The game is made up of like these different memories. So like Key goes back and, and visits what she, her life was like when she was living in China in the 1700s. And as an Inuit in the 1800s. And, oh, so you're going to have art based on the different environments exactly. as well. Oh, exactly. that's cool. And we, we, we've already prototyped that and we're like super in love with that idea. Um, but if we were able to raise more money on Indiegogo, we'd be able to add another life. Like one of the ones that we're building right now is like a steampunk world mm -hmm. in the Industrial Revolution. Nice. And it's going to be fun to add some of those like you know, machines and gears to the afterlife. You know, and who knows? If yeah, it, just to change it up. Exactly. That's awesome. So some of the mechanics that we have, like at the Inuit level, uh, you know, you'll be able to freeze the source, mm -hmm. and then your beam reflects off of the source. Oh, okay. which adds a whole other element of the challenge and the puzzling. Wow, that's cool. All right, cool. Looking forward to it. Good thank luck. You. Thank you, thank you. Hope things go well for you here. Appreciate and, uh, it. Check it out. Playing, definitely playing the game later this year, then. Thank you. All right, take care. Appreciate it. But yeah, so Evergate, it, it's... It is one of those games you have to look at. It is beautiful to look at. Really, really hard to describe in an audio podcast. But sounds like uh, their Kickstarter was successful. I haven't checked up on their Indiegogo, but are they on Steam yet? I must look. Still listed as coming soon, just late 2019. It does sound quite complex, but simplicity in the gameplay. But it's, as you say, difficult to... Uh Explain. It is. It's you kind of end up pausing time. You shoot your soul beam at where you want it to go, but you have to make sure that it's going in the right spot. And it's still it's very fluid when you play it and when you're looking at it, and it will make sense. But it's hard to describe. I'd say just go to Steam or wherever and look at some of the videos that they have for it. It looks gorgeous. So we'll see what happens with that one. Hopefully, it'll be out this year. So there was another one that I saw there, and they were there last year as well, and I played their game, and I talked to them, but I didn't interview them because I'm stupid. But this year, I made up for that. So this one is called Endless Mission, and it's meant to be... God, how would you describe this? Like a game hub, where you start off in a central area, but then you can go off to play any other kind of games that are attached to that hub. You want to play a racer, you go off in that direction. You know, you want to play a platformer, you go off in that direction. That sort of thing. And it's an interesting premise. I, I think they've still got a lot of challenges ahead of them, but the, the ability to go to this central world and play whatever games are attached to it. So you don't have to go to it thinking, well, I'm just going to go here because I want to play this kind of game. 
you could play one of their games for well for as long as you want until you're sick of it then go off and play a different one of their games but never leave the actual world it's a neat little concept Okay, so I'm here at Eline Media, That's it. and this is the Endless Mission. I saw you guys last year at PAX East, and uh, who am I speaking with? You're speaking with Brendan Sewell. I'm the creative director of the Endless oh, Mission. okay. So I remember last year, it was kind of a game where you could go in, around this big world that had different kind of games attached to it, and then you could do things in one game that would affect the other. Is that still pretty much what's going on here, or yeah, has so- it changed a lot in the last year? So it has changed a lot in the last year, but the core concept of it being a creation sandbox game where you can make your own games, upload and share it with the community, interact with the community, has been consistent all along. The things that we've been adding and working on since the last time that you saw the product, we're adding multiplayer into the experience right from the beginning. So in the social hub of the terminal, you'll be able to see and interact with other players. You can create multiplayer games and be able to both play and modify those with one another. So part of the joy of what the Endless Mission is going to become is the ability to go into a game with a friend, have one of you playing, say, I'm racing as a cart, while the other goes and modifies settings and changes the game while the other one's playing it. So it's kind of a cooperative, competitive creation environment. I was about to say, that could lead to a lot of griefing. (laughs) (laughs) So we really keep the experience open-ended so that players can determine the kind of play they want to create. So you can actually go into a standard co-op, let's just play, versus let's play, whereas, whereas, sorry, you can go into a standard, let's just go in and play, versus let's go in and play and make changes at the same time, like you can choose that? That's right, you would be able to designate, do I want my game to be moddable while we're playing it for this particular session or not? So you can determine, do we want sort of a straightforward kart race or first-person shooter deathmatch, or do we want something that involves the creation tools and the modding sort of while we're playing it to subvert the rules in an interesting way? So then how do you have what happens in one game impact, say, another one? Like, how does it impact the character itself that that goes on to other games? Well, so the experience within the Endless Mission when you're using the creation tools, you don't have the ability just to upload games, but you can also create individual assets and content. So if I go and I create a avatar, for example, that allows for a unique play pattern, like a platformer avatar that has some interesting jumping capabilities, that's something I can also share with the entire community, which they can then download and use in their own game creations as well. Unless my memory is foggy, from last year it's like you collect stuff like diamonds or fruit or something and it enhances your character that can have an impact in other games. Oh, so I think what you're speaking to is the ability to unlock and collect assets over time. So within the game worlds themselves and within the adventure mode, you'll be solving for challenges that will grant you assets which you can use in any other game. So they get added to your project library so you can kind of show off. I was the winner of this week's design challenge. That gave me a special visual asset which will then show up in my games. Okay, so it's strictly just for show. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So I remember that they were talking about just the challenge of making a world this huge. What's been added since then? Yeah, so we've been working on the storytelling adventure mode experience, which allows you to go behind the scenes of the different game genres that we're shipping with 
um, so I can treat those games from an entirely new perspective. The example that we here have at PAX is we've taken the real-time strategy game in the world from it, which you normally experience from a top-down God's Eye right. perspective, and now you're actually going in as your terminal avatar from a first-person perspective, so one of the characters tosses you a sword and you're actually defending the human village from the undead army with yourself. But we're also introducing what we call hacking mechanics as a core gameplay mechanic in that adventure world. So the hacking mechanics allow you, like you have spell casting in other games, I am able to wield hacks that affect the game code like I would a spell. And what that allows me to do is I'm gradually introducing players to those hacks over time. I can inspect the game objects in the world and actually extract hacks out of them. So I could do something like look and see that this character has a health controller. I extract the ability to affect its health and now I have a direct damage spell that works like setting its health to zero so I delete it out of existence. And that's built on a system where you can craft your own hacks as well. So as I'm extracting information through the lenses, I'm using that to compose my own hacks to really wield it as my superpower in that world. Wow, this really has grown since last year. That's yeah. insane. So what platforms is it going to come out for initially? So initially we're launching into Steam Early Access, and that's a few months from now. We're okay. releasing into the summer. We're eager to see the community get involved into it. Um, so it's a PC-first platform. We are looking at other platforms in the right. future, but it's going to be a little bit longer tail. So right now we're completely dedicated to Steam Early Access. Well, I mean, Steam users, or PC users in general, are the ones who are used to modding things, which is kind of what this is. Yeah, and it's also the best platform for the level of extension into the tools that we're really offering. So you have the ability to write raw C-sharp in the game to make a complete game from scratch, oh, full wow. gameplay code. You can also import assets into the game. So if you use 3D modeling programs, you can create your own characters, put it in the game for the rest of the community to enjoy. And those are the kind of interactions that you can really only accomplish on a PC. Okay, so obviously something like this requires a lot of back-end horsepower. How, how is this game going to be funded? I mean, is it going to be like free and then you buy things throughout the game and then you have to pay something up front? Yeah, so, so we're going with a very straightforward pay up front model. Okay. So on Steam Early Access, we're targeting around the $15 price range wow. at initial launch. Um, and then as we continue to add features, add more multiplayer interactions, add new genre experiences, we're continuing and intending on supporting this game for years to come. Wow. On, on pay up front. Yep. Wow, that's not even stuff like pay a little bit here for a skin that you might want. Or yeah, I mean, we're, we're keeping the door open after we're out of early access right. for doing some paid DLC models as a possibility. I mean, we're, we're still investigating that. But right now we're focused just on early access of just supporting the community, making sure that we're building the features and the tool sets that is going to best enable them to create cool content. I only ask that because I work in IT. For so sure. I understand what goes into setting up server farms and so forth. It's not cheap. Yeah. So, okay, that's, that's, so it's great to see that you're back. So, you said this will be a few more months until it's released to early access. Uh, yeah, we're releasing it to the early access this summer. Fantastic. All right. Thank you for talking with me. Yeah, thank you. And uh, good luck with the game. Thank you. And they are in early access. They're out on Steam right now. They actually do have some other challenges ahead of them because there's some, I can't remember the name of it. There is something similar that is already out on PlayStation. They could be getting in trouble because people are creating copyrighted 
images, uh, you know, Mario and stuff like that. So, I mean, there could be some legal liability on this one, but when you look at some of the screenshots they've got, they even have windows where you actually write code. So it is a full, you want to develop a game in here? They give you the tools to do it. It's really impressive. I got to admit, I am worried about that pay once because you don't simply pay once for server backends. You've got your monthly electricity and, and data throughput. So I don't know, but hopefully they come up with something for that. But it is cool. And if you're the kind of person who likes to play all bunch of games, this will be good for it. If you like to dabble in creating your own, this is also good for it. So it seems like the kind of game that you can play and each time you play, something's going to be different in it. Yeah, and, and if it's one of those games, like you said, that uh, the creator of that particular game has said, yes, people can mod this, it'll be different or could be different every time you go in to the same game. It's ambitious. I will give it that. It is very ambitious, but it looks like a lot of fun. Definitely. There was another game there. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. We might have talked about it casually, but one of my favorite games since the days of the Xbox 360, when it was new, is a game called Bastion, an indie game called Bastion. And it's an isometric game where you're simply going, you know, that kind of above and behind view. And it's a little adventure game. You you go through, you do your thing. But that one was was very stylized. And that one made a lot of impact because it had this narrator that knew what you were doing and narrated as you went along. Wow. Even if it was stuff like you come up on a bunch of blocks and you start destroying the blocks, all of a sudden the narrator would say, so the kid decided to destroy everything that was in his path. It's things like that. And he could change it. And But the game itself was a lot of fun. It kept you guessing where the story was going. And that was one of my all-time favorite games. Uh, something I saw there is similar to it. It's called Mask of Semblance. And again, it's, it's, a, it's an isometric game, kind of RPG-ish. But it's with a three or four person team. That's it. One guy does all the artwork. You know? Wow. And again, that's one of the things that I love about being able to talk with the indie devs. You're not going to get that from the AAA game companies. And being able to talk to them. And I looked at the game and I said, this is Bastion. Or at least it looks like it. And I'm already in love with it. Just from watching other people playing it. So I had to talk to them. So I did get an interview with, I think, three of the four guys were there, but uh, the main people were there, and this is Mask of Semblance, and it's from Red Essence Games, and, uh, well, here for yourself. So this is the booth for Mask of Semblance from Red Essence Games, and I'm speaking to... Armand. And Nick. Okay, and so you're the art director? Yes, so I'm the I'm the lead artist, and then Armand is the lead programmer, and then we have two more guys. We have a voiceover actor, and we have a musician. Okay. So it's a four-man... It's a four-man team. Just so I can get off the mic. Sure. Right, right. So, okay, the, the thing that really caught my eye with this game is that it's got a very, it's isometric, mm-hmm. and it's got a very strong bastion feel, which to me is fantastic because that is one of my all-time favorite games. Awesome. So, how did you come about uh, coming up with this game and the idea behind it? So, one of the um, things that makes our game a little bit different is the fact that the game is completely playable forwards and backwards. So, at the beginning of the game, you're faced with this choice. Do I go on the left path or do I go on the right path? And the paths are actually opposites of each other. So, you can have multiple multiple playthroughs and get multiple skill sets and multiple companions. And 
And uh, in terms of the storyline, this this boy wakes up in this world. He doesn't know how he got there, and he finds this mask. And they the mask is actually sentient and can talk. And they go on this journey to find the mask's master. So. Armand and I have been friends for a very long time, and we eventually synced up to make a game, and uh, that's kind of how we started the... Well, the, the original idea started from The Alchemist, um, the book, Yeah. and then um, we also had some ideas from games that we've played, and kind of just put everything together. One day we sat down and just started throwing around ideas, and then we started, you know, finalizing it into something that, you know, we could remember and that made sense. We're huge gamers, so we try to put, like, all of our inspiration into this game. Yeah. All right. And so you hand-drew everything. Everything is hand-drawn, yes. There's no 3D assets in the game. That's, it looks gorgeous. Thank Absolutely you. Absolutely looks gorgeous. Thank you. Is, Thank it, you. is it also, like, pseudo-random? Like, you can play a game and it's new levels each time to the level design? Or? No, it's, it's very linear, so there's no, um, what's it called? Uh, PCG? Procedural content. Yeah, there's no procedure, procedural content. Um, so every every map is kind of set in stone. Um, but there is a good amount of exploration that you can have in the game. It's not so linear that you feel like you're on like one path right. the entire time. Yeah. And that's not like Bastion was the same way. Sure, so, yeah. Which, again, that is not a bad thing. That's <laughs> yeah. such a good yeah. game. It's and more so to just like deliver a story, you know. It's right. to guide the player through like uh, an experience. Yep. And it's so. both single and dual player in the same game. Yes, yes. So the boy has this companion character that kind of floats around his shoulder. So when you're playing single player, you you control both the boy and the, the little companion. When you're playing multiplayer, the second player plays a companion. So you can sit on the couch with your friend and play through a story together. And that's what we've always wanted as gamers. So. Okay, so you're both from the games industry, or you've had experience in the games industry? So I have experience as a concept artist and illustrator. I had worked on other previous smaller projects, but it finally came time to just start my own studio and make my own game. So um, besides that, I've done uh, like trading card art and stuff like that for the actually the Fantasy Flight card games, the Lord of the Rings and the Game of Thrones trading card games. So that's my experience. Yeah. And uh, I've just been programming for a pretty long time, and I've always had a passion for games, and I've always wanted to get into it, but you always got to kind of um, make a sacrifice at some point and figure out if you're going to put your time into learning something or trying to do something else. So I put my time into learning how to make games. So this is the first game you've coded then? Uh, I've coded like smaller games before, right. but nothing to this like level. Extent, yeah. Extent, yeah. Oh, that's last year I was talking with a guy. I can't remember the name of it, but it's this. It's a 2D shooter, but the environment switches, so it oh, gets like cool. a pseudo 3D feel to it. Interesting. Really polished. Yeah, yeah. Sparkle effects, gorgeous backgrounds, all that. Nice. He said he's a banker by trade. And he of just course. decided one day <laughs> yep. he wanted to try to make it, and yeah. he made this fantastic game on his own. That's how it happens. That's yeah. How it happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and even um, oh, another one of my favorites, an Elysian Tale. Okay. Oh, yeah. I keep, yeah, hearing, yeah, yeah. I keep hearing about that. Oh, it, it, yeah. it's a 2D yeah, yeah. Metroidvania. Yeah. yeah. The guy hand-animated and hand-programmed everything. That's crazy. And it's just... Yeah, solo teams are just, like, insane. Yeah. Yeah. You I, gotta I, be a unit. Yeah. It's kind of... Hammered away at every aspect of a game. Yeah. So this is this just just you two then? Or so it's us two and then two other guys, the voiceover guy and the musician. So it's pretty much a four-man team. We've hired some extra help for like extra voiceovers and like some assistant art, but it's a four-man core team. That that's fantastic. I mean, yeah. just 
watch the game here, it's smooth, it's polished. Thank you. Which, I mean, four-man team, that's that's fantastic. Plus, you don't have anybody out, you know, corporate overhead say, well, maybe you should do it there. Yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. We can, yeah. we can definitely put anything we want into the game at this point, which is yeah. a nice feeling. Awesome. Uh, so yeah. how far are we to release? Uh, I'd say another another two years or so. We're actually really? seeking a publisher right now to assist with funding, and depending on the fund, we can possibly speed that up a little bit if you know we can hire on some extra help. But at our current pace, I'd say about another two years. Okay. Any option of like a Kickstarter or Indiegogo, possibly? To... So I prefer to, especially since this is our first game, I prefer to stay away from Kickstarter okay. and partner with a publisher because they can guide us a little bit more. Right. With a Kickstarter, it's kind of like you get this sum, lump sum of money and then you kind of have to figure out what to do with yeah. it. A publisher can kind of assist with the marketing and the porting process as well as, you know, keep you on a deadline that, right. that will help them. And a lot of people seem to think of Kickstarter as a marketplace instead of a place yeah. to try to just support exactly. what's right. going on. Yeah. So that's understandable. Uh, what are you looking for at the beginning, Steam or... Yeah, probably Steam to start, but again, if we get a publisher, I think we could get ports going possibly at the same time, so I, I would ideally like to release on everything at the same time, sure. but it's dependent on, on a lot of things. But yeah, we, we're developing for PC currently. Just the fact that we're trying to build a really epic action RPG with a lot of crazy story elements, and we just want to low gamers' minds, I guess. That's yeah, kind of our mission like right it, now. It looks great. I Thank love you. the art style to it. Thank you. Yeah, and, and the gameplay is one that it's, it's familiar. So. That's awesome. Thank you for your time. Yep. Yeah, thank and you. Good luck with the game. Thank you. And uh, hopefully, I'll be playing it in two years. Yeah, so, awesome. Yeah, hopefully, we'll have it for you by two. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Mask of Semblance. I, I'm really looking forward to it, but it's probably going to be another two years, as he said. It's not even listed on Steam or anything. So it's just a hurry up and wait kind of thing. Uh huh. I like the way he was talking about, you know, possibly going through a publisher rather than doing it through uh, a Kickstarter because it's. If you get someone who can invest, uh, who's in that line, uh, who, who can push you in the right direction, and whereas, as he said, with Kickstarter, you get you get a load of money, but what do you do with it? Where do you where do you hone into where the money needs to go? Well, the other drawback, uh, as we've seen with other games in the past, is that sometimes the developer comes in and then the developer decides to make a bunch of changes that aren't necessarily meant for the benefit of the game mm-hmm. it's not without risk but I see where he's going with that so the last interview is actually for something that is uh, well its core is quite old very old like almost 30 years old and at PAX it was called Iron Maiden unfortunately it had to be renamed to Iron Fury <laughs> Because this is a first-person shooter. It is actually based on the old, original Duke Nukem 3D. It is the same engine. But unfortunately, they had to rename because a certain rock group from your side of the Atlantic (laughs) decided it's too close to their rock group name because, of course, rock music, first-person shooters, they're so similar, and filed a lawsuit. 
yeah, so they had to rename their game from Iron Maiden to Iron Fury, as an ion, you know, a charged particle sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, they had to rename that. But still, the fact is, this game is actually based on the original Duke Nukem 3D engine. And this is from 3D Realms, which... Everybody knows because 3D Realms pretty much started off the whole first-person shooter because they came out with the original Wolfenstein 3D back in the old DOS days. So this is still 3D Realms, and they actually took the engine. I'll let them explain it. But to see this thing in action on modern hardware was amazing. Yes, it's pixelized compared to other modern games, but it looked great. So I actually had a chance to talk to two of the people there, actually. And, uh, well, we'll just go into that. Okay, so this is the 3D Realms booth. Uh, 3D Realms, I'm sure as fame people know this one from Duke Nukem and Blood and, and a bunch of other games. And now this one is called Iron Maiden. And who am I speaking to? You're speaking to Fred. Fred, okay. And what's your role in all this? Uh, I'm the co-owner of uh, 3D Realms. Oh, okay then. This is amazing because it's like you brought Duke Nukem in blood. Is this the same engine? It is. It's the exact is, same engine. Yeah, this is build engine. This is, uh, of course, it's modified sure. and enhanced in many different ways. Um, it, it's as smooth as butter, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. So it's the build engine. Uh, it's a var- variation of it called Eduke 32. Okay. Uh, because the build engine was an old MS-DOS engine. Right. And you have to be able to run this on modern systems as well. Um, the guys working on the game are actually the guys who made that source port of build called Edu32. They called Voidpoint. Uh-huh. Um, we did a game in 2016 called Bombshell. We wanted to make a prequel to that game, and the idea was that we're making a game that takes place before the first game. Let's make the game, you know, in an engine that is also before that game. Right. So we thought, you oh, know what? Nice. Let's let's just do. 96. Let's do build engine. Let's make it a spiritual success as a Duke 3D. We got in touch with these guys and a bunch of Duke 3D level designers and mappers who still made maps to this day for that old game. And I asked them, hey, would you like to make this game with us? And uh, they did. And here's the result. So how's the reception been? I saw you guys here last year as well. Yeah, it's been fantastic. So since last year, we... Uh, Iron Maiden came out in early access on Steam, and it's, it's become one of the highest-rated games on Steam. Nice. Uh, which is really nice. Right. A lot of people love it, and uh, for the right reasons, I think. Um, you know, the, the demographic that played Duke 3D when they were kids or teenagers are now, you know, in the mid-30s or 40s yeah. or 50s, and they, they now, you know, want games like this yeah. because they remember them when they were kids. So it's it's been a, a you know, pleasant surprise to see how many people actually like this kind of game because it was kind of a bet you know would people play first of all a game that looks and feels like this but right. also is using an old engine would people right. appreciate the authenticity of a game like this and yeah apparently they did well how, how are, like uh, have you been getting any feedback from like younger people playing so yeah actually we uh, we did a show called games connection which is pre- primarily for like tweens like you know 9, 10, 11, 12 year olds and uh, they loved Iron Maiden and I asked them what do you think about the graphics looking like this old right and they didn't know what I meant because when they were kids like very young kids right. they played 
Minecraft. Minecraft. And like yeah, they, 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 right. they don't identify this as looking old. They just identify it as a different graphical style. Right. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, they, yeah. They, they, because they don't, they don't think of Duke 3D and Doom. They have no idea what that is. Right. So old games, old-fashioned games still look like modern games or pixel art games and so on for That's them. true. So they just thought, oh, this is just a cool first-person shooter that looks in a specific way. That is awesome. So, yeah, they, they absolutely loved it, which was super nice. But you guys no longer own Duke Nukem, though. That's, that's, we don't. That, that's that's Gearbox, yeah. yeah. That's cool. So it's just a way to try to tap into that... Uh, Tap into that market. Well, I also think that almost every 3D Realms game uh, was based on the same uh, tongue-in-cheek characters, sure. uh, tons of you know uh, badass weapons and right. one-liners and all that. That was not only Duke Nukem. That was also Low Wang Shadow Warrior. It was Shadow, right. Blood and so on. Uh, I, I so, played Blood like crazy. Yeah, loved it. So, so it's not so much a uh, you know us trying to do a new Duke Nukem. It's just us doing what we have always been doing back in the nineties. That's amazing. So what's coming out after this? Like the game on the other side, ah, the which we just announced <laughs> like three weeks ago, which okay. is done in the Quake engine. Okay, oh, made by God. by Quake veterans. I played so many hours of Quake, you know, and of course all the uh, codes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I've, I've played every single one of them since uh, since the original Castle Wolfenstein. Yeah. So this is just calling to my my uh, nostalgia. But it plays great too. Yeah, it is. It is actually like super smooth, very fluid, very fast. That's amazing to think that it's still the same engine, modified yeah. but still modified but still the same. And it's, it's great that it's doing so well though. Okay, well I'm gonna have to go check out that other game now. Absolutely. So, all right, thank you for your time. Thank you so I appreciate much. Appreciate it. Oh, by the way, this is uh, Evan. Hi there. He's actually John. one of the guys who made that possible because. You know, as I, as I said before, the original engine was MS-DOS, and right. he's actually one of the developers of the game and the source port of oh, E-32. Wow, nice. So he's one of the ones who actually made this possible on modern machines. Nice. Yeah, I, I remember the old uh, DOS days very well. So, and of course, you know, the, the floppy disks. You always you always gave me the first episode, then you had to buy the rest. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was Scott Miller's idea. He's actually here, the founder of Freedom Realms. Really? That was his invention, the shower model of giving you the first episode for free, and then you could call in and order by mail the, the remaining. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks. Nice so, you. Yeah. so uh, my name is John. Nice and, uh... But the podcast that we do is mostly astronomy, but we do things that are science fact and science fiction, and we're both big geeks. So, this, I am back from the Commodore 64 PC DOS days, so this totally calls to me. So, what made you decide to port the engine over, and how difficult was it? So, we started, well, it goes back a long way, so... Id Software really started a trend, right. which was starting with Doom. They open sourced their code a few years after the game was released. Right. So 3D Realms followed in their footsteps in 2003 by releasing the source code to Duke Nukem 3D. Right. And in the year following that, 2004, the project known as Eduke 32 began, and that was fans, people who loved Duke 3D, porting it to newer platforms just to make it easier to play. You make better use of newer hardware, just more accessible. Because we love the game. So that project started in 2004, and we've just been working on it ever since. So this project, Ion Maiden, started in 2015. So we already had 10 years of experience behind us with 
porting this engine to modern platforms. So that wasn't an obstacle coming, uh, leading up to the project. Right. Wow. So, I mean, it wasn't, was it like a rewrite? Or say, well, here's what it did in the old version, so here's what we're going to rewrite in the new one? Or was it basically still pulling out the old libraries so, and linking them in and making them work with Windows and modern So systems? it's, uh, we still have the original software renderer that was used in 1996. Right. It's just that instead of copying the buffer to VGA registers, right, or instead yeah. passing it into a library like SDL or Direct3D to right. render it to the screen instead. Wow. Uh, has there been any talk about just for the sake of doing it, porting this over to quote-unquote modern graphics? Or simply, you know, so, this is our aesthetic and we're staying here. So we're actually running today a hardware accelerated renderer written by the author of Build himself. Wow. So, yeah, he did that in 2004 as part of this effort just to get it running uh, sort of almost like a tech demo, but it took sure. off from there. So, yeah, we're, we have perspective correct looking up and down and that <laughs> kind of thing that we didn't have back then. Oh, yeah, I remember that. All right, well, thank you for your time. Nice to meet you. Nice would you, would you like a copy of the press kit? Sure. There you go. Well, thank you. Okay, so that was cool. And the other game that they were talking about is called Wrath Aeon of Ruins. And that's built on the original Quake engine, which has been since open-sourced. But the really cool part was when I went to the opposite side of their display, and I actually had a chance to talk with Scott Miller, who, his name is not as well-known as, like, Richard Garriott, but really he's no less of a legend in gaming because, well, as you heard, he's a guy who came up with the shareware model, which is what made Wolfenstein 3D popular and all of that, and he was a co-designer for Wolfenstein 3D and Raptor Call of the Shadows, which I also played a crapload of, and Terminal Velocity, which I also played a crapload of, and Max Payne, which absolutely blew my mind when that game came out. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Oh, that game was so good. And he's responsible for all of those. So I, I didn't get a rec- I did get a recording initially, but it was one of those deals where if you're familiar with the Zoom, you hit the button to record, except you're not really recording, you're just preparing to record, and then you have yeah. to hit the record button again. Well, a certain dumbass forgot to hit the button again. Quack, quack, oops. But I mean, it's okay because we actually talked more about space-related material because when I said, yeah, you know, the podcast is mostly about space and so forth, his dad was an engineer who worked on the Apollo and Gemini programs. Wow. So he and I were geeking out over NASA stuff more than video game stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but just the fact that I got to meet the guy who pretty much is responsible for the first-person shooter. That's pretty cool, isn't uh, it? That is beyond cool. <laughs> but, you know, so it was a great time. And that's, again, you're not going to be able to meet the CEO of EA or Ubisoft or Activision, they're not going to show up at a PAX. No. So it's, I was geeking out at that time. That was very cool. That's awesome. And it's, it's really cool to hear some of those old names being mentioned from some of the old games. Yeah. And to, to think that certain aspects of it has been changed for a modern audience, but the actual look and feel of it is still the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, they bumped up the resolution, obviously, to fit modern screens, so it's still not running at, you know, 320 by 200 or 640 by 480. The resolution is a lot better, but it's still got that nice, blocky aesthetic to it, and... I, I really had never thought about Minecraft until he mentioned it. Because that, that's mm-hmm. always been a concern of mine when it comes to a lot of the nostalgia games. 
are kids ever going to really be interested in that because the games are blocky and simplistic and when he mentioned Minecraft it was like wow I never even thought of that and it makes total sense because that's what the kids are used to they're not going to be looking at looking at it as oh this is ancient graphics because when you're looking at something as blocky as Minecraft yeah and Minecraft really started a whole new voxel based gaming thing so those low well lower resolution polygons they're not going anywhere no so that gives a lot of opportunity for these older games to come forth and have a whole new generation playing them but yeah, I mean, I, I played a bunch of other games. Those are all that I had of the interviews. Let's see, what were some of the others? I, I played Dauntless. It ain't my thing. If you've ever played Monster Hunter, basically it's you and a team of other players. You try to take down a gargantuan beast, you know, and you kind of depend on each other. But the monster is obviously way overpowered to give you a challenge. Eh, looked good. Wasn't really my thing. I uh, played another game, I think it's, in fact, it might even be out by the time this podcast is ready to roll, called Rad. It's made by Tim Schafer and the folks over at Double Fine. You probably know Tim Schafer from games like, you know, oh, Monkey Island and a lot All of the right, old yeah. LucasArts games, uh, Grim mm-hmm. Fandango. Well, this is his company, and it is another isometric, very cartoony, very colorful, but you are in, of course, a human wasteland. Something happened, something tragic happened, so you'll see cars that are ruined and buildings that are ruined, but you encounter creatures, you're trying to pretty much get rid of them, but you end up absorbing some of their powers, so you end up mutating throughout the game, which, okay. which gives you extra skill levels, and it might not seem like, ew, that sounds kind of gross. It's not. It's cute, it's cartoony, and I actually had a lot of fun with that one. There's another one I didn't play. I'm interested in it, though. It's called Alt Frequencies, where you are listening to radio channels. It's kind of a strategy game. You take sound bites from other channels and then send them to other radio stations, and the game will react based on what you sent and what that other radio station is like. So, like, you could take an audio clip from one station and then send it off to a conspiracy theorist radio station and then he'll go off on, on whatever you sent and then you take sections from his and then you submit that to other radio stations who will then react to it and it, it apparently the whole thing comes up with some big conspiracy that will make itself clear throughout the, the game really weird premise but it seemed to get a lot of attention and every time I went back there there were always people playing it it's a neat premise, but... So it's a good sign, though. If there's a lot of people around it, then it must be something different about it. Yeah, it must have had good word of mouth at the le- at very least. Or, or, or people would simply say, that's a really weird premise. I want to try that out. I never really heard of a game where you take segments like that and, and you know, radio stations, for crying out loud. And, and how do you know that what you send over will actually do something on that other radio station it might it might not so you have to figure out what segments to take and what other radio stations to send them to to trigger them to go on and you keep doing that to un, you know unwrap this conspiracy that's going on behind the scenes don't know that i have a patience for it but it's a neat premise 
One of the crazier games. Have you? I don't know if you've ever heard of a company called Datalik. No, I don't think I no, haven't. They're based out of Germany, I believe. These guys love their point and clicks. They are definitely keeping the point and clicks alive. They've got a series called Deponia, which is a comedy point and click series. I love Deponia. They've got other ones called Edna and Harvey, which is the same thing. It, it's comedy point and click, except she's insane and she talks to a stuffed rabbit. <laughs> so you, you see where that kind of thing can lead to. They have a whole bunch of games that I, I love, but they had one called Felix the Reaper. He works at the Ministry of Death, but he's in love with someone from the Ministry of Life. So what he's trying to do is manipulate how people die so that he can see the woman that he loves. In that, they say that this character over here is shooting an arrow. There are certain things that can happen that could go wrong. So you kind of stop time, and then you have to manipulate the sun on this isometric grid so that Felix is always in shadow. So you have to change the shadow position, then walk to a point where when you change the shadow back, you'll still be in shadow. Okay, yeah. So it's that kind of strategy game, but you have to be able to pick things up and place them in the right way, like, uh, well, in in this case, somebody shooting an arrow or a spear at uh, a deer that he wants to hunt. But if you don't put things properly in, like, where they're supposed to be, that is going to overshoot the deer and kill an innocent person on the other side of the level. And it's all done in a really goofy, cartoony style, but the funny part is that Felix is constantly having his Walkman on him, and he's constantly dancing. So here he is dancing on this grid to whatever music. They're constantly making pop song references. (laughs) It's a really fun game, and the best part is... Yes, you are told how what the optimal amount of turns is, a turn being when you shift the sun's position to change the shadows. They don't punish you for it. So it's not like you have to get three stars in this level in order to progress to the next one. No, you just progress to the next one, and if you're not satisfied with what you did, you go back. So you can play any level you want, you can keep going on as much as you want, and it was fun. I had a lot of fun with it. I'm not really one for those kind of isometric strategy games, this one I had a lot of fun with. It sounds almost Terry Pratchett-like. Ooh, I must confess, I've never read any of his books. Terry Pratchett had death a lot in his books, and basically death didn't want to be death. Huh. <laughs> Death's name was Mort. Mort is dead in other languages. Mortius is death in Latin. Yeah, that makes sense, though. (laughs) (laughs) That does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I had a lot of fun at the Datalik booth, and they had some other ones there. Uh, Again, point and click, that sort of thing. They're a publisher as well as a developer, so there are a lot of games on their list. Wow, looking through their list, I've actually played a lot more of their games than I thought. It was a lot of fun. Love talking to the indie folks. Um, I freaking met Scott Miller. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was geeking out on NASA stuff with Scott Miller. How cool is that? I guess the only other thing that we had, it wasn't a game, but it was meant to help with gamers. And it's a, uh, a service, really, that's called Overtone. This actually could be a benefit to gamers because a lot of times, like, okay, I play Warframe, we know this, I'm an addict. But you get in, and for the most part, the team knows what to do. We've all got the goal, and we go. 
but there are a lot of other games out there like uh, the Battle Royale games or, or the MOBAs like Dota or League of Legends where you're strategizing, you're, you're trying to work with the team members to defeat the other team and you know those are sessions that can go 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour but you don't have a real way to communicate so what Overtone does is it helps to take that part out of the problem list entirely because you can go with Steam, you can go with Discord, but if you're not already a member of that Discord server or you're not a, on a Discord server where other team members are on, that's not going to help because you have to know how to get to wherever they might be. What if they're all on different Discord servers? That's not going to help. With Steam, you'd have to go and you have to make friend requests and accept them and then everybody would have to get into a Steam chat, blah, 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 blah. So what Overtone tries to do is be a, a temporary voice chat service for gamers. So you start a process and whoever else is on your team, you just quickly send them the link. Hey, link on here. They log into Overtone and then you can all chat during the, during that session for the game and then you just dismiss that session when it's all done. All right. So you know, you don't have to worry about making friend requests or or joining a particular server. They just handle it and it's meant specifically for temporary team-based communication. So I'm here at the Overtone booth, and who am I speaking to? I am Dayton Chambers. And what is Overtone? Overtone is a text-based voice chat messaging app. Uh, something akin to Discord. But the, the main thing that sets us apart are two features. One is parties. Parties are temporary fixtures in-game for voice chat. You invite your team members in, and then once the game's over, it's deleted. Teams are the second main feature, where it's a permanent fixture for voice chat. You invite team members, friends, and then once they're in there, they're there for good, permanent. And then you can use that team to play across multiple games uh, for communication. And then another thing about Overtone is it's powered by VVox. VVox is a lead producer of voice chat among major games like Fortnite, PUBG, uh, Rainbow Six Siege, so you know the quality of the voice chat in this app will be up to quality. Oh, okay, so those are those are the engines that were used in those games before yes. if you did the in-game yes. chat. Uh-huh. Okay, that's yes. cool. Now, you said it was text-based? Uh, it's a text messaging as well as voice chat, oh, okay, so okay. it's like Discord, so... Okay. Yes. So I do like that idea of bring some guys in and then just okay, they're gone. Exactly. So that definitely that's has what to we're going deal. for, and it's very bare bones. It's very gamer oriented. So there's not going to be any flashy. So, okay. So uh, I guess it's strictly PC based at this point, or yes, right are you going to have like a phone app for consoles? Uh, there or? is a phone app. Oh, okay. So. I was taking a guess on that one, but yes, I guess yeah, correctly. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, right now at the booth, there's. You can sign up and get entered into a little ball thing for merch, and then if you want to play against some Halo, you can get entered into a raffle at 5.30. Right. So, okay, so let's say I'm a big Warframe guy. Yes. Let's say that I guess everybody needs to have this installed for it to work, Uh but I send out a chat to say, hey guys, join into this. Uh How does it know... Like when that session is over or whatever, does do I have to manually do it? Yeah, you, right now you have to manually do it. Okay. So is it? I mean, is there? How, how are you guys going to be monetizing this? Is it free? It's or? completely free. Um, right now, I don't think there's any plans for monetization since we're relatively new, but it's right. completely free. Not sure. I mean, it, it definitely fills in a niche because I've wondered that too. It's like you get into even if it's something like something where the game session will take at least like a half an hour, like yeah. League of Legends exactly. or something like that. That it's like, how could people communicate mm-hmm. 
without having to go through Discord or whatever, and you have to go through all of that, set them up as friends yeah. or Steam chat or whatever. This makes it completely simple. You just get their username, send them an invite to the party. Once the match is over or raid or whatever you're doing, you just poof, right out of the way. I, I don't play games like League or, or yeah. that, but uh, I can absolutely see where this would be a value to that. Yes. Made right here in Boston. Right here in Boston. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. So, yeah, big niche there. And granted, it could help you cheat. There are certain games where they intentionally disable chat. Well, you know, <laughs> that can be fixed. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but it, it fills a niche that is out there. Again, it, it depends on the game. League of Legends, Dota, those kinds of games. Absolutely, I can see a value to that one. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. And the fact is that they're not thinking of monetizing from it at the moment, but... Uh... I think they're going to have to eventually, or at least figure out some way to do it. Because again, bandwidth. If they get big enough, the bandwidth bills are going to get up there every month. But, you know, for now, well, hey, if it's for free, okay. Cool. Like I said, I spent a lot of time at the various panels. I do recommend... If you have the means, go to PAX East, or if you must, Gamescom. Yeah, that's fine too. Just remember, Gamescom is big. It's really big. It's going to be crowded. Although one thing I didn't know that I learned at this latest PAX East is that PAX East is actually the biggest of the PAXs. I thought it was going to be the one out in Seattle because that's that's the main one. That's the one that started it all. But apparently, no, just because the Boston Convention Center is so huge, PAX East is actually the biggest of the PAXs. I did not know that. So if you get a chance to go just once, I'd say go for it. It's so much fun. You get to meet a lot of people. And everyone's there for the same reason. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I hate crowds. I don't want to go to crowds. But everybody's there for the same reason because we're all gamers. You can strike up a conversation with anyone in line, especially if it's a game that you like because, well, they're in the line because they like that game too. Of course, there's always going to be stuff to buy. You can't avoid that. (laughs) You You just can't avoid that. But the fact that they've got all the panels that have various topics for for people to discuss. If you've got a favorite Twitch streamer, they might end up being there. Uh, If you've got a favorite gaming podcast, they might end up being there. So you could actually meet these people as well. Now, hey, I did meet Richard Garriott. That's true. I still nerd out when I think about that. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. And if you're into gaming and you can do it, I'd say do it. Plus, Boston's a gorgeous city. Even if it's one of those deals where, oh, well, I was able to get the Thursday and Friday tickets. Oh, uh, I couldn't get Saturday. Well, fine. Make a day of it and just do, be a tourist for a day in Boston. You won't regret it. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> late, fri- late late February, maybe <laughs> a little bit of regret. <laughs> if it was in April, it wouldn't be nearly as much. But it's a lot of fun, and that's why I go every year. And now that my daughter's seen it, and she's like, oh, my God, I want to go to this every year now. I really did not expect that, but she had so much fun. So now I guess I have uh, I have no excuse to not go. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Same thing. If you're a Warframe fan and you can, go to TennoCon. It is of so much fun to meet the developers and you know, the people who work on it. Warframe Twitch streamers are going to be there. Voice actors are going to be there. And uh, they've got huge props that are are built from the game. I had a bit of a curveball thrown at me. When I went last year, I brought some of the pistols called the uh, Lex Prime. And I'd completely forgotten that I sent one up to them 
after Tenocon was over. I came home, tore it apart, repainted it, refurbished it, and all that, and I sent one up. So this year they had this thing called the Warframe Museum, which was a bunch of uh, original artworks from fan artists and things that they had professionally made, replicas and so forth. And sitting right there in the museum was a Lex Prime. And I'm thinking, oh, well, they must have got the same plans that I got, and they printed it off on their own. And I actually sent an Instagram to the guy who made those plans available. And he said, isn't that the one you sent them? Your name's right there on the plate. What? (laughs) (laughs) I'd completely forgotten that I had sent that to them. And there it was on display with my Twitter handle. (laughs) It's like, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Idiot. (laughs) You know, but whatever. The really fun part was this year I went up with... It's called a Vacor Heck. I know, crazy name. But it's basically a big quad barrel shotgun. And the thing is, is a beast. It's 36 inches long, and it was just over 6 pounds, which is a little less than 3 kilograms. It was a beast, but I had it completely painted up and everything. A lot of people were admiring that one. It's always good. Yes, there's a little bit of ego there. Say, I made this, and people are digging it. But it's also cool when... A lot of people will say, oh, do you mind if I take a picture of it? And what I would do instead is say, I'll tell you what, give me your phone. And then I hand it to them. So that way I can get a picture of them holding it for them. Mm -hmm. And the look on their face, nine times out of ten, it's like, are you serious? Yes, I'm I'm fine. You know, it's six pounds of plastic. You know, it's not a family heirloom, but they don't care. They're just like, oh, my God, this is so cool. So... There's a lot of joy in seeing them have a good time with it as well. We're all fans. We're all Warframe fans. Yeah, go to go to the Tenocon if you can, if you're a Warframe fan. It's it's fun. And who knows? You'll probably see my Lex Prime. And at the end of Tenocon, I actually made it for one of the community developers because she's a huge Vacor Heck fan. What she didn't know, however, was that at the end of Tenocon that I was going to give it to her. And that's what I did. Tenocon was over, and she and the, the Rebecca Ford, who's like the lead community manager, uh, we call her Space Mom because she plays one of the central characters in the game who basically takes care of your character. So we all call her Space Mom. The two of them are, are, are walking out, and they're ready to leave. And they're like, oh, hey, John, you know, glad to see you again. Hope you see you again next year. And I took the thing off, and I went down on one knee and handed it up to Megan. And Rebecca was just like, you're giving it to her? And Megan's like, are you serious? It's yours. No, no, I can't. It's yours. No, I'll feel guilty. It's yours. I had to say, like, it's yours four or five times before she finally it sank in that, yes, I am giving this to you. So you never know. Go to Tenocon next year and you might see my Lex Prime and my Vacor Heck. Well, okay, it's theirs now, but you know what I mean. But it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I also had a chance to meet a uh, one of the Warframe fan artists who I follow her on Twitter, and I saw, oh, wow, she's going to be there. So I, I had a chance to meet her as well. So that, that's always cool. It's just a fun time. It sounds like it, because it's, it's almost like one big family, the way that uh, you put things out there about it. Oh, it, it absolutely is. And it's funny because, was it last year? I think it was last year. I was in line with some guys, just, you know, broaching the topic of, oh, I know where you're from, and it turns out that the two guys in front of me were brothers who, at the time, lived, like, four blocks away from where I grew up. (laughs) That's crazy enough, but then, 
right before TennoCon, I saw someone uh, contacting Danielle, who's another one of the community managers. You know, do I have to bring up cash? Uh, you know, is credit card taken? Blah 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 blah. And because I knew the answer to that, I said, contact your bank. Uh, or your credit union, find out if they will have any fees on it. Otherwise, they'll usually convert it for you on the fly. So you just take your credit card, go up and pay for it, and they'll convert it for you. He said, that, you know, he contacted his his bank and all that. Well, it turns out he lives about four or five miles from me. It's this random response that I did on Twitter, and the guy's practically a neighbor. What are the chances? And then, now I know you you read about this one. This is the craziest thing from TennoCon. One of the guys who, he does a podcast, but it's mostly beer-related. Or actually, it's all beer-related. But, like you and me, he and I met through Richard Vobes. So, you know, I, I'd been on other shows with him, like on Richard's thousandth show. It was me and Phil Clark, that's his name, and Richard and a couple of other guys. Well, Phil lives on the other side of Chicago. I'm out in Pennsylvania. We've never had a chance to meet, even though we've been friends on Facebook and so forth for years. So I got up there. TennoCon takes place on a Saturday. I got up there on a Friday. And I do what I always do. I stop off at the local poutinery, and that's my dinner. If you don't know what poutine is, poutine is French fries covered in gravy with cheese curls thrown in there. It is a very high-calorie meal. It is a very typically Canadian dish. It is also ridiculously delicious on the way down. It's it's like a rock once it's down, but it's delicious on the way down. So, you know, I did what people do anymore. You know, I took a picture of it and tagged my location, and all of a sudden Phil contacts me. Wait, are you in London? Yeah. We're going to be there tomorrow. So... Here we are in this small city in the middle of Ontario, and he was going to be there on the same weekend. So after TennoCon was over, I contacted him and said, okay, where are you at? They were at a pub about six blocks away. I mean, what are the chances? <laughs> well, what are the chances of Phil being in a pub? But, well, okay, now that is obviously uh, a no-brainer on that one. But the fact that we were in the same small Ontario city on the same weekend... That's great when we've known each other for years and never had a chance to see each other. Needless to say, it was a very cool weekend. Yeah, Phil is a is a character. Oh yeah, he is. <laughs> we had fun. We had fun. But yeah, it's it's always a good time. You never know what's going to happen. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Right. I think it's about time we start wrapping things up. God, yes. Thanks for coming back on the show again. Well, thanks for putting up with me again. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it has been. We need to, to, to knock that. So I, I take it that you don't have any further information on that which cannot yet be discussed on air not as yet All i've right. got i've got to finalize some things at the end of the month and then from then um can probably make things a bit more official cool it's uh 
pretty busy over the next few months, but that means more content. So <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so it works out quite well for Space Rocks this year because it's on the 21st of September. So that means I can get the interviews and whatnot in for that. So that it'll be just in time for World Space Week. There you go. <laughs> when is that actually? I think it's the 4th to the 10th of October. Yes, it is. And heck, just from a lot of the stuff that's been going on, we got a lot of things we can talk about. It's been busy in space. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit. (laughs) It seems to be changing by the day as well. I keep noticing new things. It's crazy. It's nice to see that there's still a lot of interest in that. And now that the smaller players are getting involved, it's going to be even more. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. So, let's wrap this up now. Well, as I always like to say, take care one and all. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you all again real soon. And as I like to say, toodles! Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. So there was another game. Game. Jesus Christ, John. What I would.